game, you son of a bitch, huh? You think you want to hey, look at that Hello, my name is Chris White, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are going back in the time machine to November of 1999 to bring you all of this month's WWF coverage, including a full review of the Survivor Series pay-per-view. Joining me, we have firstly, Rory McNamara. Rory, how are we doing? Not bad, gentlemen. Let's play the game. And also we have joining us Dan Wellin. Dan, good to have you on the show. Pleasure as always, gentlemen. Dan, uh, would you so kindly take us through our news headlines for the month? Uh, Yeah, big one first off. Austin's career. Is that all he's got to say about that? Well, it might very well be, I'm sad to say, everybody. So, as I'm sure you know, the big build-up over the last few weeks has been for the huge triple threat match at Survivor Series between Steve Austin, The Rock and Triple H. But that ended up not happening. A few days, we believe, before the show, Austin complained of numbness in his arms and everybody, given his history of neck problems, decided it was very sensible for him to get it checked out. He was taken out of the match at Survivor Series. We will tell you how later on. But the most important thing now is Austin's health. He has been diagnosed with both bone spurs and stenosis, which for those of you who don't know, is a narrowing of the spaces within the spine, putting pressure on the nerves that travel through it. He's definitely going to be out for at least four to six weeks. Now, the injury itself is not necessarily career threatening, but a lot of word on the street is that Austin himself has pretty much had enough. He's achieved far more than he could ever have hoped to. World champion, household name, all the rest of it. So there's a possibility he might well be hanging up the boots for good. If that happens, we will, of course, bring it to you straight away. What this does do, it screws up the WWF plans for the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. Smart money is that we were going to have Austin beating Triple H for the belt at the Rumble, and we were going to have a heel, yes, a heel Austin, then putting over the rock at WrestleMania 16. That looks now highly unlikely to happen. We will, of course, keep you posted on all the developments as we go. But we have a world title match at Survivor Series to tell you about now. Show me, don't tell me. But I am going to tell you. Yes, the big show of all people, when he's not been harangued by the boss man over the death of his father, managed to find the time to replace Steve Austin in the world title match at the Survivor Series pay-per-view, and he only went and won the bloody world title. We will tell you all about that a bit later on, and the rest of the Survivor Series pay-per-view. Heaven help us. Uh, More injury woes for the WWF. Serious injury to draws. Yes, this is a bad one. It happened last month. It kind of passed us by. I don't think we quite grasped the enormity of it, to be honest with you. But we will tell you now what happened to Dross. At the SmackDown taping on October the 5th of this year, 
He was in a match with D'Lo Brown and reports on this one are sketchy. The best we've been able to glean so far is that when D'Lo went for his running powerbomb, he slipped on a drink that a fan had thrown into the ring, meaning he lost his footing, couldn't get the full grip on Droz, who then sadly crashed to the ground head first. He was rushed to the Nassau County Medical Center and he fractured two vertebrae in his neck. Uh, he was told at the time that he may get feeling back in his arms. And of course, as you would expect, when everybody heard that news, they took may get feeling back to mean will get feeling back. But the evening became the morning, the morning became the day, and so on. The current prognosis we have is as follows. He's sitting up in his wheelchair, but he still can't move his legs. His surgery includes a bone being taken from his hip to replace the bone in his neck. It's going to be very long and hard rehab for him. We send our very best wishes. And it is yet another reminder, as if this year we needed another one of the risks these people take day in, day out for the sake of our entertainment. Does the Millennium Man have a bug? Yes, some of the reports of Chris Jericho's in-ring work have been less than stellar so far. A lot of talent complaining that he's been stiffing them in the ring and being unnecessarily violent. Road Dog has complained of some stiff shots. Oh, these things happen. China has complained of these stiff shots. Ah, you know, Stevie Rich, Stevie Richards, was it? Fire Jericho now, right? Fucking now. Sorry, let's pause that there. Yes, uh, Jericho has been told to cool it by many people in the ring. Whether he will or not is another matter. He has also been ribbed over the fact that he's been left off some big cards recently. For example, No Mercy last month was nowhere to be seen. He took it in his stride though and told everybody that he was riding the pine. I've got to be honest, I did have to look up that particular reference. It's a basketball one, apparently, for being left on the bench. So he is very confident of his future. Let's see if he is right to be. WWF Media and Sponsor Backlash, film at 11. Allow me to read for you November the 23rd press release from none other than the Parents Television Council, led by one L. Brent Bozzle. After 12 weeks of escalating trash, it is difficult to imagine the new and creative ways in which WWF Smackdown continues to offend. The violence was up this week, as was the offensive language, as was the sexuality. And this line is brilliant. The theme of masturbation continues to clog the show. Just flush it. And has become more frequent and more graphic. Thank you. The violence is more sadistic than ever. Writers of the show continue to push the boundaries of what language is allowed on network TV. Example. Mr. Ass runs his fingers over his anus, slowly working his way up to his crotch, etc., etc. Now, yes, we've talked about this so many times over the last few months, good year or so, haven't we, everybody? But this one, I make particular attention to it because a lot of sponsors have pulled out. Everybody from US Army to Coca-Cola. It was quite funny, actually, how quickly the Fed dropped off Coca-Cola, dropping them by saying they only made up 2% of their ad revenue anyway. Yeah, whatever, guys. I bet you can tell us you know the difference between Coca-Cola and Pepsi, too. Walmart have pulled the Al Snow doll from the shelves because he carries a severed head with him, even though everybody we know that he does not. But WWF have actually responded to all of this this time by changing, or having had changed, the ratings of their television show from a TV-14 to a TV PG, but could you really tell the difference? I don't think so. Thank you very much, uh, both of you. Uh, Rory, uh, excellent uh, coverage as always, and Dan for the headlines. Um, Dan, uh, obviously the biggest story of the month has to be Stone Cold Steve Austin and the sort of this potential end 
of this Austin era that we've enjoyed for the last couple of years in the WWF? Like, what do you make of it all? And like, what, what just what are your thoughts on the future of Stone Cold Steve Austin? What this means for the company? I think they, if this was 1998, they would be incredibly, you know, incredibly worried. Um, but the fact that The Rock is in a position where they were willing to turn the biggest babyface in the wrestling heel to put him over suggests to me that they are in a position where if, if Austin doesn't make his return, then they are okay. So from a company perspective, I'm not too worried. But like from just an individual perspective, like you know, losing Steve Austin would be such a such a blow to like I don't know the moral fabric of wrestling because he's just been so instrumental to to what has been amazing about this art form in the last two years. Like think of how many just incredible moments that he's provided in the ring and outside the ring. How established he is in pop culture. Just losing that permanently would be just sickening, sickening from my perspective because he's he's just he is just that synonymous with this with this wrestling industry. I personally don't think it's going to happen. Like you think of how many of these massive retirements you you hear about from from major names in industries gone by, like Flair and Funk and Hogan. Even Kevin Nash, like if you want to go back like three months, so he said he was on his way out, and then back two months later. Austin is is too popular to to not turn away the the shiny dollar, so I don't think it will happen personally. But like I thought this way about Shawn Michaels 18 months ago, and he's not been seen since. He's not been seen in the ring since that back injury kind of forced him to go take a little bit of a break um, in March. And I was always under the assumption that he would just come back and he'd find his smile and be happy again, but he hasn't. And I am terrified that's going to happen with Steve Austin as well. But ultimately, we want him to be as happy and healthy as possible. And if that is outside the ring and, that's, and this is the end, then at least he's happy. That's the main thing. Yeah, Rory, like the two things I immediately thought is sort of I'm not suggesting that Shawn Michaels was ever at his peak, the level that Austin was at his peak and what both men meant to the company in terms of sort of being a draw ratings, box office, whatever it is. But like there would, there would have been a period a few years ago where we on this very show would have imagined a WWF without Shawn Michaels, maybe just before Austin was, I mean, at the beginning of that sort of rise of Austin and obviously the WrestleMania sort of, the, the coronation of Austin and the end of Michaels, but it would have been really hard if you'd have said sort of six, eight months prior to that, Oh, in six, eight months time, sure. Michael's going to be out of the company. You'd have really panicked about the WWF, but they actually went on to something uh, bigger and better um, in, in some ways uh, with Austin. And a part of me wonders if they could pull off a similar thing with the rock here. And he's obviously, super popular babyface and also i do wonder if this is kind of a not a blessing in disguise because we want austin to be as healthy as possible and i would hope he recovers but if he like my best case scenario here is that he recovers and he recovers fully and he recovers quickly comes back and is happy but it has waylaid plans of turning stone cold steve austin heel because 
I don't think that would have been a good idea. It definitely would not have been a good idea. I suppose we can, in a way we can fantasy book now. I just wonder how they would even have done it. Uh, would they have turned him heel and had him antagonising Vince the other way round, as Vince looks pretty set as a face these days? I don't know, and I don't think we're ever going to know. And if I'm honest, I'm rather pleased with that. If they were going to do Austin Rock at WrestleMania, and again, we should say we shouldn't write the runes too early here. There's still a possibility it might happen. Uh, I'm going to assume it isn't. But if you were, you had to do that big face face. And they tried at SummerSlam 98 with Austin and Undertaker to do the Attitude Era version of Hogan Warrior WrestleMania 6. Didn't come off there. Maybe it would have come off at WrestleMania 16. I get the impression now we're never going to know. But Austin's health is by far the most important thing. And his happiness. He's been, for the last few months now, by all accounts, he's not been enjoying himself. And the same with anything. If you're not feeling it and you've got a chance to just get rid and assess other priorities in life, and you should really do it. We might not think about it sometimes, but there are things more important in life than pro wrestling. And if Steve Austin realizes that, then all power to him. And um, they do say, like, absence makes the heart go fronder. If, if, if Austin goes away, ha- has this sort of enforced time away from the business... And and again, another sort of throwback to Michaels, but finds his smile again, like and finds that love of professional wrestling. Maybe some time away will help bring that back a little bit because he's clearly a man who loves professional wrestling like we all do on this show. And as you rightly said in the news, has achieved more than he probably ever dreamed of achieving within the business. And isn't enjoying himself now maybe a bit of time away a bit of recuperation resting his body resting his mind and maybe if he is healthy enough to come back maybe he comes back with a smile on his face so we just have to we'll have to keep you updated as we hear news updates uh, month to month on austin's progress i imagine um uh, it's not going to be an overnight thing i can't imagine we'll hear big um sort of prognosis one way or another um on a month-to-month basis I, I guess we'll have to sort of see how his progress is but hopefully we can have him back happy if that's what he wants to do and healthy what else can happen shane's got a chance to win the wwf title here i don't know who's going to make it to the survivor series pay-per-view two weeks away will it be triple h or will it be shane mcmahon for the oh, wait, WWF? wait a minute look at this Vince mcmahon's got the wwf title in his hand Vince has got the title belt. I've seen this before, JR. Referee is down. This is not looking good. And we're not even near Montreal. Get up, ref. Look at, look at Vince McMahon's in the ring. McMahon's going to take Hilsey's head off. The referee is down. And, oh, God. Vince has Shane. What? Vince? Vince. Oh. Vince McMahon inadvertently hit Shane. Look at this. And Triple H with the cover. And will he? Yes. Triple H retains the title. Triple H caught him in the face. Possibly a face broken nose. And look out. Oh. And he hung Triple H up. Austin did. And both men, double clothesline, and both men are down. Wow. Referee outside the ring. And look trying at, look, to get the rock back to the locker room. And look at Vince. Vince has a chair. Referee. Vince McMahon with a chair now. What are you doing, Vince? Vince McMahon with a chair. But Triple H has it. Triple H has it. And Vince, Vince has the belt. Vince has the championship. 
Vince McMahon! No! No! Vince McMahon clocked Austin! What? That's hit Austin! Triple H with the cover! No! It was inadvertent! No! Wait a minute! Triple H wins! DX wins the match! So, uh, before we get to uh, our review of Survivor Series, there are four episodes of WWF television to traverse. Um, Starting with uh, the first of the month, with the very first episode of Raw. Um, So we had quite the newsworthy main event on this show, as uh, we had Triple H defending his WWF title against Shane McMahon. Vince McMahon was the special guest ring announcer, Stone Cold was on commentary, Kane was a special enforcer, and The Rock he filled in as timekeeper. Um, And as you'd expect, with all those uh, people involved, we had the rest of DX accompanying Triple H for the bout. And believe it or not, um, you may have to watch this one to... uh, to believe if but there was a moment where it did seem like for half a second Shane McMahon would become the WWF champion after hitting a pedigree um it was sort of the match was the epitome of like the sort of wild over the top WWF main event obviously not pay-per-view standard we're talking about Shane McMahon here uh, but we had members of DX routinely brawling around ringside with Austin Kane and Rock so the crowd was red hot throughout uh, the finish, however, did come when Vince McMahon himself tried to interfere in the match, attempting to hit Triple H with his WWF title, but inadvertently hitting Shane instead. Rory, not too long ago, we had Vince McMahon as WWF champion. Did you ever buy for one second that we were about to see another McMahon hold that very same belt? Is it wrong to say that I did? <laughs> 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 Anything can happen in the WWF, right? And within six or eight weeks of Vince McMahon winning the title, his son being anointed as the champ as well. Is it entirely far-fetched? I really don't think it is. It probably should be, but uh, it isn't. Having said that, during the context of the match, it was only that devastatingly close near four where I had any inkling that it was going to happen. The match was a lot of fun. There was a moment in it where Triple H caught Shane with a huge knee right in the temple and uh, I thought Shane might have been knocked out he managed to carry on in that particular one and he put together the usual Shane McMahon performance no regard for his or anybody else's safety but his mainly it was all about the finish but two things a it was all about the finish which is going to play into the pay-per-view a bit later on I thought everybody played their roles and secondly just want to mention this as well Indicative of where the business, well, not even where the business is going, where it has gone over the last months, in which it's the heel who has the stack stacked, has the deck stacked against him. Vince is out there. Kane is out there. Steve Austin is out there. The Rock is out there. All of that to try to help screw Triple H, the biggest heel in the company, out of the title belt. And I think that's very interesting. As recently as 18 months ago, anything else like that would be completely turned on its head and has been for decades in the pro wrestling industry. And now it's all about getting one over on the heels. I find that very, very interesting indeed. And the match was fun, but Shane, just ease up a bit, yeah? Dan, uh, uh, what did you make of the match? And Shane McMahon, future WWF champion, had, do you see it that way? Well, I mean, family heirlooms have to be passed down somewhat, don't they? I mean, Vince, yeah two-day reign from Shane McMahon it could definitely happen but I did I did must admit I didn't think it would happen on that night and I was proved right so probably I probably didn't enjoy the match as much as you two did I just kind of I don't know what it is about my 
with main event Raw matches right now, but I just don't feel them, to be honest. And it's the same with the SmackDown main event the week the week afterwards. Um, yeah, I, I I know Vince has got a lot of stroke, and I know that it's 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 the good thing to have him involved as much as possible. But I was kind of I, I thought it was quite like ham-fisted the way he's getting involved in this match. You know, the whole him lining up to hit Triple H with the belt. I just knew it was going to hit Shane. I just knew it was going to happen. So I, again, I'm probably being the sourpuss in this in this scenario, but I didn't really enjoy much of what I saw, to be honest. And I'll get more into kind of why I've, I've not been really feeling this storyline in, in the main Survivor Series review. But yeah, I've, I wasn't feeling it, to be honest. So uh, the, the, the finish of this match, as well as playing into Survivor Series, it also continued on to the... Uh, the SmackDown later that week, as you uh, rightly brought up, Dan. Um, so throughout SmackDown, there were multiple people who insinuated that Vince may not have acted accidentally when he hit Shane with that belt on Raw. This included Jim Ross. Um, Vince uh, denied this, and he actually said at one stage he'd rather join WCW than DX. Um, he booked a main event for that night. Um which was a four-on-four Survivor Series-style elimination match with DX taking on Shane, Kane, Austin, and Rock. Um, so, as you can imagine, in that match, sort of all hell broke loose, basically. A lot of brawling, all eight men in and out of the ring. Um, so, I think the eliminations went as follows. I'll just run through them really quickly. Billy Gunn eliminated... Uh, uh, no, Billy, uh, Billy Gunn and X-Pac eliminated uh, Kane uh, together. Uh, just after which Vince McMahon made his way to the ring. Um, X-Pac then eliminated Shane and uh, leaving just Austin and The Rock against all four members of DX. Uh, Rock got one back uh, for the good guys after pinning Road Dog with a rock bottom and Austin evened up the sides after eliminating X-Pac with a stunner. Uh, Rocky eliminated Billy Gunn but then was eliminated himself by Triple H hitting a pedigree, leaving Austin and Triple H as the final two participants, with Vince McMahon intently watching at ringside. Then it was deja vu time. Any any guesses for the finish here? Vince entered the ring with the, with the WWF title. Looked like he was aiming for Triple H, but the champion moved. Vince hit Austin. Austin was pinned. Um... Austin, furious after the match, confronted Vince. Vince said that he wanted to prove himself and booked himself as the special guest referee for our main event at Survivor Series, that triple threat match between Triple H, Austin and Rock. So if I did enjoy, which I did, the finish on Raw um, with uh, the, in the Shane McMahon match, lightning striking twice in the same place, the same finish, Vince, and knowing it's Vince McMahon, maybe... One too many times here, Rory. Yeah, cheap and lazy here. We got it and we liked it three days beforehand. Here, all right, don't beat us over the head with it like you did with the belt. Vince is screwing up, trying hard to prove himself. Okay, we understand it. You know, I like to think as pro wrestling fans, we could be rewarded for paying attention without it being drilled into our skulls like that. Okay, yeah, all right, get us there another way. Again, though, the match was a lot of fun, but. I need to make this point. I sound like an old fuddy-duddy here. We've got the Survivor Series pay-per-view coming up in just two weeks. And here we have a full-on four-on-four Survivor Series match with lineups bigger than anything we got on the pay-per-view. Do you really want to try to sell your pay-per-view by putting on a match better than anything else you have on the card? 
certainly the flagship matches which make up the PPV, I really don't think you should. Uh, match itself, great fun, but if you want people to part with their hard 29.95, you probably want to give them a little bit less than this, I think. Uh, Dan, did uh, this work for you second time round any more than it did the first time? Uh, the match itself, I enjoyed a lot more, and I completely echo what, what we said. Uh, and yes, ultimately, if I didn't like the finish for the first match, it certainly wasn't going to make me like the second match. Um, yeah, just I echo what, what we said completely. Too too much of of show of telling us what to feel about Vince McMahon. You know, we got Jim Ross just badgering on about Survivor Series and what happens with Vince McMahon screwing over fan favorites in that pay-per-view. So, yeah, too much of overt storytelling. Let us breathe. Let us work it out for ourselves and move on. Um, But, yeah, as as Roy said, I thought this match should have been, you know, could have easily been a marquee match. It probably would have been a marquee match in the early 90s. So, I can't complain about giving away on TV, but if it would have made the pay-per-view better, if this match had been on the cards, yes. And put some stakes behind it, it would have been good. Just really just come back in quickly. If you want to make Vince McMahon a face, which is probably not the easiest thing in the world to do, because most of the fans, let's face it, they just love booing the guy and who can blame him. If you want to try to get them to cheer him on a regular basis, making him hapless as they did here twice in one week, is not the way to go about it. And there's definitely ways, I probably should have thought of one before I started this point, but there's definitely ways you can book an angle, like you don't have to repeat the exact same spot. Vince goes for a belt shot and misses Hunter and hits the the other guy. You don't have to do that twice in a week. You can make him mess up another way. If that's the way you want to play it, there are alternatives. You don't just have to repeat angles over and over. So we get it. Like, okay, he is messing up, as you say, Rory. You don't have to do the exact angle over and over again. Like, he can, like, maybe learn from the mistake of the belt shot, but this time try something different, and it still goes wrong. Because then he's he's still an idiot, but he's definitely less of an idiot than accidentally hitting two people with the belt three days apart. But I can't think of an example. Um, but there's definitely like, I mean, there are ways to do that. And there's ways to have that play out differently um, without just yeah repeating the exact same spot with the exact same guy three days apart. Something like, I don't know, a, a leg trip or something like that. And he catches the wrong man. If this is the story you want to tell. Yeah. I don't believe Vince McMahon would be stupid enough, even with all his hubris, to do exactly the same thing twice, three days apart. It doesn't make him particularly sympathetic, and that's something they need to try to do best they can, because there's not a whole lot of source material there. That's very true, and like, yeah, I think it's going to be a nigh-on impossible task to ever have Vince McMahon full babyface, because the fans will be... He's someone who, no matter what happens with him, the fans will know that he can turn on them and pull one out pull the rug out from underneath them and turn heel at any point. Like that's, that's what Vince McMahon does. So for Vince McMahon to be a popular babyface character, he has to go over the top the other way, which isn't necessarily attempting to screw triple H out of a belt, but because again, that's not a very babyface move. It's just him doing what he's always done, 
but this time the guy he's doing it to just happens to be a hill like there's there's no his character hasn't changed he's still doing the same things he always did I, I mean off the top of my head can't think of one but i bet there's an example of vince trying to hit some uh, austin with an object austin moving in vince now's the opponent that probably happened on a wwf pay-per-view or on a raw within the last 18 months to two years it almost inevitably did like vince hasn't changed he's just changed his target that's not turning babyface mm -hmm. that's just shifting sideways hold on just one minute what the hell does he want, King? Well, I... How dare you start the grieving process without me? I've got feelings, too. It pains me deeply to hear that the Big Show's dad has passed on. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it pains me so deeply, I went out and bought a sympathy card. And I'd like to read it to you, if I could. Sympathy card? What a disingenuous. This is not good. No, it isn't. Shut up and listen to me. With the deepest regrets and tears that are soaked, I'm sorry to hear your dad finally croaked. He lived a full life on his own terms. Soon he'll be buried and eaten by worms. Oh, but if I could have a son as stupid as you, I'd have wished for cancer so I would die too. So be brave and be strong. Get your life on track. Because the old bastard's dead and he ain't never coming back. Wow. I am not believing what we're hearing That's here. That's exactly how I feel about the big show's daddy being dead. That is the most pathetic human being I think I've ever seen in this business. So another thing I say I'd like to discuss, but I'd, I, I, actually I'd rather not. But, uh, oh, come we should, on. We should discuss before we get to Survivor Series is the rivalry between uh, the big boss man and the big show over the few weeks leading in. Uh, <laughs> to the pay-per-view so they've been feuding um the back end of october uh, on tv but things really ramped up early november so we started the month uh, boss man and albert attacking the big show on raw uh the following week we had a tribute to the big show's father who had sadly passed away as they told the bells um for the big show's uh, father boss man interrupted and he had a, a sympathy card to read uh which he proceeded to read, telling the crowd to shut up before reading the card, which was nothing but insults for the Big Show's father and the Big Show. Things wrapped up again in a in a very big way on the 11th of November, um, as uh, the boss man crashed and interrupted the funeral of the Big Show's father. As Big Show eulogised his father, boss man drove over in a car with a loudspeaker on top. He uh, just I mean, trashed the ceremony, um, hit Big Show with the car. Uh, then he went over to the grave, chain linked it to the car and drove away with the casket trailing behind him. Uh, Dan, I'm going to just 
go to you on this one. So seemingly you enjoyed you enjoyed this chaos. This is the best thing on WWF television right now. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not laugh at this absurdity? Like I know it's tasteless, I know all of this stuff, but it's done in such a pantomime. You know, the boss man is just, I, I, I can't begin to describe you how hilarious the, like, over-the-top, moustache-twirling villain that Big Boss Man is in the last few weeks of television. It, it's just, if this was done seriously, this would be one of the most awful things I think we would be talking about on this show. But the stuff that he's doing is just so over-the-top and so... Like it, it's 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 like he he's like a villain in EastEnders. He's dirty den boss man in this whole angle, and it's done in that way so much that the public are just they've embraced the Big Show. Like we, we'll reference it again, but in the in the Survivor Series review, but this is a man who was absolutely nowhere in terms of being over with a crowd two months ago, or even two weeks ago. But this single feud has made people care about him. And there was no way that I think you could do that if they didn't go so far over the top and have this this absolute insanity storyline happening. I yeah, to me I think this is this is going so far overboard that it's that it's absolutely brilliant. Um, yes, I do think that some of the stuff that they've been doing hit like in a vacuum are bad, but when you do it one after the other, after the other, after the other, it works. Sue me. Rory, uh, go ahead. I'd, um, I just like Dan comparing him to Dirty Dan there. So does that mean next month we're going to get a Merry Christmas big show? <laughs> I, I for one really hope so. Um, I'm okay. sorry to hear your Christmas finally croaked. <laughs> yes, would have played in the promo just before that, everybody. Oh, brilliant. Oh, come on, this is fucking great, isn't it? Come on. The parent teacher council and all that, whatever they're called, they have a lot of valid points and a lot of WWF's critics. Now, I, more often than most people on these shows, pull them up on things which are even close to the line, let alone going over it. And I make no apologies for doing so. But this is where the WWF and the two people involved are getting it completely correct because they are aware this time of its absurdity. In as much as you can, in a situation where you are mocking the death of a fellow co-worker, pulling his coffin out of the sunken earth in which the man who has lost his father is jumping onto the coffin to try to drag it back from a car which is pulling it across the grass. In as much as you can, this is being played for laughs. Everybody involved, unless you are completely humorless or the PTC, needs to be aware of that i will be talking about something else on this show which i think goes far beyond the pale and it is infinitely worse than this seems to have escaped the same censure at least at this point but this is fantastic i just fucking love it both boss man and show they probably might not even admit it but they're having a whale of a time doing this the only issue i will come back to this when we talk about the pay-per-view it isn't really a main event style feud uh, that's all to do with the booking of the replacement triple threat match we have a survivor series but this is just fucking fun so sue me coke m&ms u.s army etc this is fucking fun see i share the the love for the 
nonsense and and stupidity but meant as a compliment that that this whole thing has been and that angle on the smackdown with the funeral was just unbelievable where i have a problem is that three days later big shows winning the wwf title like yeah exactly I, I that's that yeah. so so on the 11th of november i fucking love this to put it bluntly by the end of survivor series i thought the whole thing was just way out of place and i don't mean in a tasteless sense i was just like if you had even a one percent like hunch that this is what was going to have to happen on sunday at this stage i wouldn't have done this because it's just a bit too silly for the guy holding the WWF title. That's so cool. in the in the context of the overall month, this isn't like a massive negative, but also I don't think like when Big Show came out on, I mean, we'll talk about it in our main review. When he came out at the pay-per-view as a replacement in the main event, the crowd didn't really care. Um, and I think, a lot of that is just sort of like maybe down to the general disappointment of losing Austin, which hurt the, the sort of engagement level of the crowd, basically from when that angle ran to the end of the show. But I don't I don't think three days is enough time to go from this angle to WWF champion. And I guess that the issue with that isn't this angle or this storyline my issue is with the overall booking, which rather than this angle, because this angle was hilarious and it was pro wrestling at its over the top, wacky, crazy, late 90s best, I guess. Um, but not in keeping with the guy I would be putting the title on three days later. And finally, uh, we also had a special guest on the uh, 11th of November edition of SmackDown, as we had Arnold Schwarzenegger. That it was a great idea for me to, uh, to come and visit SmackDown, and it was fun from the time I got there, and uh, we did the interview, and uh, then hanging out backstage and talking to all the guys, uh, and then going out there and receiving the, the, the belt, the World Box Office Champion belt, uh, of the you know that was terrific. It was also very nice that they showed the end of days trailer to the audience, you know, and and all that. And then also to get involved in a little bit uh, a problem on the end there, which was quite unexpected, but uh, we took care of that. And it, all of that was a lot of fun. Schwarzenegger's movie end of days opens November 24th and it's going to be a blockbuster king I guarantee you can't wait to see it he was he was shown arriving backstage he was interviewed he said he was a huge fan of the World Wrestling Federation dating back to the days of Andre the Giant and he couldn't wait to be out there meeting the fans Uh, later in the show Vince presented Arnie with a special championship belt he called him the undisputed world box office champion This left Triple H pretty pissed off. Vince had presented Arnold with a belt, something that Triple H had been working so hard to earn himself. Arnie also did a guest commentary for our main event, which, uh, again, 
a uh, another four on four uh, Survivor Series style elimination match. This time DX facing Shane, Test, Kane, and The Rock, and we had Austin as the special enforcer. Uh, Test initially unable to compete, and X-Pac Kane eliminated themselves early uh, via count-out by brawling ringside. Shane eliminated Billy Gunn. Rocky was on his own to face the remaining members. Uh, sorry, Shane was eliminated by Billy Gunn and left Rocky on his own to face the remaining DX members. Test then did come out, but Gunn hit him with a chair, earning himself a DQ before the Rock eliminated Road Dog with a rock bottom. Triple H then clobbered the ref before Austin grabbed a chair to enforce the rules, I guess. Uh, but the champion um, ducked and Austin hit the rock instead. Oh my God, the same thing for the third time. Triple H then uh, tossed Austin back into the ring, but Arnold Schwarzenegger got up and handed Austin another chair. This time, Austin got it right, nailed Triple H, Test made the cover, meaning he and Rock were the sole survivors, as commentary said. There's two of them. They're not the sole survivors. What did we make of all of this and the use of Arnold Schwarzenegger on SmackDown? Uh, Rory. (laughs) Okay, there are really three kinds of celebrities who get involved in pro wrestling. There are those who just get it. They're aware of the product. They know exactly what they're there to do. And they hit every single mark. Ultimate case in point, Bob Uecker, WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4. Then you've got the second group of celebrities, those who clearly cannot be asked, and their face just screams that their agent is so fucking fired when they finally get to get away from this Dom wrestling thing they've been signed up for. Case in point, Pamela Anderson, Royal Rumble 95. There is a third group of celebrity who also don't really know what's going on, but they're going to do their best to make it look as though, well, no, not make it look as though they know what's going on, but just try to play along as best they can. And ultimately fail. Case in point, Art Donovan, King of the Ring 1994. Of those three groups, Mr. Schwarzenegger came closest to the third. So there you go. I've just compared Arnold Schwarzenegger to Art Donovan. On commentary, he was trying, bless him. You'd almost think he had a film he wanted to sell or something. He was definitely trying. But when he's coming out with lines like, you hit him right in the stomach, full blast. A total connection shot right there. And this is not legal to use the chair. Or... Oh no, from behind again, another dirty trick with that cadence. And my personal favourite, it was ridiculous. The guys were using two chairs, Aussie Times. My accent's a bit at the end there. I knew I was overshooting it with the fourth one. But Arnie, Arnie, bless him, he was having a go. He didn't really get there, but he was having a go. And you knew he hadn't really been fully clued in because at the end, where he did the thing where he was holding the belt, he had it in his hands, how aptly, upside down. And back to front. God bless you, Arnie. Dan, what do you make of Arnie? Uh, I would agree that he clearly didn't have much idea of what was happening. But I've made the point before on this show that you may not be as good as some people. But if you show that you care, I am more than willing to to placate that and i he enjoyed being there let's be he had had a great time yeah he had a great time he clearly showed he was having a great time and because he's honest he's almost impossible to hate anyway and the fact that he clearly enjoyed himself there just made this whole guest appearance thing well worth my time watching it uh yeah i had 
I had a blast watching Arnold Schwarzenegger, hopefully in the same level of you having a blast being backstage with Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Vincent Mann, etc., etc. But honestly, you know, on a serious boat, you know, you can see Arnold Schwarzenegger coming backstage, meeting Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's having a blast. He's, you know, doing his best to get along with the show. And Steve Austin's there clearly going, who the hell is this bloke? Why, why is he? Why is he backstage? just being miserable and it's like kind of put you back in more into the psyche of stone cold steve austin right now with everything we talked about earlier going that even he can't get excited for arnold schwarzenegger being backstage and bringing his a game i know he's got kind of back you know obviously problems with you know grander things going on in his life but kind of gives you a bit more context as to what his state of mind might be right now uh just as just a observation there but yeah overall Arnold Schwarzenegger big thumbs up much big thumbs up I don't really have uh, much more to, to add to the to the Arnie talk um outside of just saying excellent impression Rory really really did enjoy that uh, with that I think it's time that we move on to our review of the Survivor Series pay-per-view um I have completely forgotten which one of you has the results to hand but would one of you kindly take us through the results please i'm here thank you very much so then everybody are you ready for survivor series i said are you ready for survivor series no i'm gonna have to, i'm gonna i'm gonna have to explain this i don't know how many of you listeners own the wrestlemania the album that came out six or so years ago right at the very start there's a clip of somebody saying are you ready for Survivor Series? And for the life of me, I have not been able to work out who that is. It's been doing me senseless for the last six and nearly seven years. Yes, I do have a life, ladies and gentlemen, despite that sentence <laughs> adhering to the contrary. So, WWF, I ask you a question. Can you please get in contact with me and tell me who it is who actually says that line? You would make me a whole lot happier. And if you don't tell me, then well. What's your excuse? Anyway, the results for Survivor Series 1999. Here we go. So our first four-on-four Survivor Series elimination match saw the team of D'Lo, the Godfather, and the Headbangers defeat the Acolytes and the Dudley Boys. Uh, Kurt Angle made his in-ring debut, defeating Sean Stasiak. In another traditional match, we had Gangrel, Mark Henry, Steve Blackman, and Val Venus beating the Bulldog and the Mean Street Posse. Deborah, Moolah, Mae Young and Tori defeated Ivory, Jacqueline, Luna and Terry. Kane beat X-Pac by DQ. Big Show defeated Big Boss Man, Midian, Prince Albert and Viscera. One on four. China successfully defended the Intercontinental title against Chris Jericho. In our final four on four match, the Hollies and Too Cool defeated Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. In a tag team match for the WWF tag team titles, the New Age Outlaws successfully defended against Al Snow and Mankind. And in our main event, Triple H lost his World Wrestling Federation title in a triple threat match, also including The Rock, to The Big Show. Thank you very much, Rory. Dan, what did you make of this show? In 1999 so far, we've had one of the worst Royal Rumbles ever, one of the worst WrestleManias ever, one of the worst King of the Rings ever, and now one of the worst Survivor Series ever. Rory, what do you make of it? But SummerSlam was all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay, wasn't it, SummerSlam? Uh, yeah, um, 
very little going on in ring, but two or three huge storyline points, which I think will make the show in a few years time seem a lot more important than it might do at this time. Just want to have a quick riff on Survivor Series itself. And I don't want to be a killjoy here, but I've never been much of a fan of the concept. Certainly not since 1991, when they started adding world title matches and all things. So when Survivor Series first kicked off in 1987, it was there, well, for two reasons, really. One, so Vince could try and fuck Crockett over, because why change the habit of a lifetime? And two, it was a chance on Thanksgiving night to see all your favourites against all the people you don't like in big tag team matches in an era where there was only one pay-per-view a year at that point. It felt very special. It almost felt like an exhibition show, really. And I think that was why I personally, and I think a lot of people listening to this show will agree, like digging out my old VHSs of Survivor Series 87 to 90. And I watched them a lot, it must be said. However, I do think the concept has worn off quite badly now, as illustrated by the paucity of not only the quality of the matches, but some of the teams who've thrown together is an understatement. So that is a bit of a shame. I mean, we didn't have any Survivor Series matches at all last year, and I don't think we missed them, did we? No, that was my big thought about it, really, was comparing it to last year and the Deadly Game uh, tournament we had at Survivor Series. Not a single Survivor Series-style elimination match. And one of my favourite shows of the year, and this will be anything but, um, yeah... Uh, not a good show and I'm sure we'll get into why so Survivor Series opened with a video package hyping our then main event Triple H defending the title against The Rock and Steve Austin in a triple threat match with Vince McMahon as the special guest ref before we had Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler welcoming us to the show so we opened with a 4-4 four four elimination match with The Godfather, D'Lo Brown and Head- Headbangers taking on The Acolytes and The Dudley Boys so we start with Bubba and Mosh, with Bubba getting the upper hand initially before tagging in Devon quite quickly. Devon hits a clothesline, Butch gets two. Frasher and Bradshaw eventually tag in, with Frasher missing a corner charge and taking a clothesline from Bradshaw for our first elimination of the night. The Acolytes hit a double shoulder block on Mosh, and, but eventually uh, Bubba tagged in and the Dudleys hit their double team move uh, to eliminate Mosh. We're left with uh, two faces against the four uh, heels. Uh, so D'Lo is in and he hits a body slam on Bubba, followed by a leg drop. Brad Shaw had been cheap shotted by D'Lo, um, ran in with a chair, hitting D'Lo with the chair across the back to get himself disqualified. Before leaving, he also gave Bubba a stiff chair shot to the head for good measure. Devon and Farouk argued with each other, with Farouk interrupting his own partner's cover attempt. They started brawling with each other around the outside of the ring, and eventually the pair of them were both counted out. That left Bubba as the last man on his team. He hit a sidewalk slam on D'Lo for two, but D'Lo came back, hit the sky high for a two. Uh, Bubba counted a Hurricane Rana attempt into a powerbomb, which also got two. And they did a double clothesline spot, which meant both guys were down. Godfather got the hot tag, ran, ran wild excuse me, with clotheslines, hit a body slam and a leg drop, followed with a corner clothesline before D'Lo tagged in, hit a frog splash for the pinfall win. Our two survivors, the Godfather and D'Lo Brown. Post-match, uh, the two men danced with Godfather's hose and referee Tim White joined in on the action. 
Uh, Dan, what did you make of our opening match? Why is it always Tim White that ends up dancing with the hose? It's That's three, ev- three pay-per-views in a row. It's always him. <laughs> Lucky Irish bastard. Um, I thought this was pretty good for the opener. Um, the Godfather has somehow become the linchpin of the opening act to get the crowd invested. I don't know how this has happened, but his stick, the hose, uh, the perfect pop the crowd early to get them invested in the show. And it's working. I can't deny that. Um, Dilo was also surprisingly over, I found. And him coming out as a pimp along with the Godfather was pretty cool. Unfortunately, the other six members of this match were pretty innocuous the acolytes didn't want to be there the dudley boys haven't gelled yet at all i don't think that they're still kind of being treated as a lower card comedy act which i'm sure Lacey is slowly crying into his tea that forces the dudley boys being a comedy act but that's the way it is in the minute so everything that involved headbangers dudley boys and acolytes was pretty dull but as soon as dealer brown got in the ring it was all good so as an opener i thought this did a pretty good job Rory, your thoughts on the opener? Yeah, it was fine enough. Probably a decent length, just over 10 minutes. Everybody involved got to show at least something, and I think the overall result result was correct. Uh, if Lacey hasn't you know, reached the hemlock already, just a chink of light for him. That the bubble was the last man eliminated on his team. So perhaps there might still be hope for them yet. I really hope they drop the stuttering gimmick. I don't think they're going to pay it off the same way they did in ECW three years ago. I'd be happy if they just scrapped that and just let them try to do something else. They need to be as close to the 99 Dudleys as they can rather than the 96 one, allowing for the change in TV rating these days, of course. Green, green. Yeah, I'm very glad D'Lo got the win. What we talked about earlier with him, we could see he'd obviously be very out of sorts after what happened on SmackDown a few weeks ago. So him being given the victory here, uh, Soul survivor with the Godfather, as they would say. Uh, it's good news for him that they haven't, and not that they should, but they're still keeping him, keeping him in a fairly decent position. He's not being punished or anything for what happened, which I'm very pleased to see. It's uh, forgettable stuff here, but nothing especially bad. And I'm going to take that on this show. Yeah, I mean, if I put my lacy hat on, you'd 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 really want this. Is like the Dudleys haven't exactly hit the ground running. They've not been booked in the way that i would like as chris lacy and uh this is the chance to 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 write that wrong turn the corner put them over have them look good and it, it just didn't happen and with my chris white hat back on it didn't need to happen yeah it was a, a pretty good sort of reasonably middle of the road but what you'd want from a pay-per-view opener the crowd were reasonably into it and uh yeah i, I think at least for the dudleys coming out of it yeah, they're on the losing team, but you're still building that that story in the feud between them and the acolytes, and that's more that that's something that they can get into and allows them to. I mean, at least they're on a they're on the show. Like the acolytes aren't a comedy team, and I think the longer they're feuding with teams like the acolytes, um, the more likely it is we have them drop that comedy aspect of of the Dudley Boy gimmick. But yeah, generally a pretty good opener here. Not too much negative to say about it olympic gold medal champion kurt angle if i could describe myself in one word i'd have to say dedicated because anytime i dedicate myself to be the best at something like i did in amateur wrestling or any other decision i do i stay focused on that one goal i follow the simple set of rules that have gotten me a lot of success in life i call it the three eyes intensity 
integrity, and intelligence. Kurt Angle, the most celebrated real athlete in WWF history. Next up, we had a video package about Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle making his debut up next with his first televised WWF match. Kurt Angle came down to the ring. He was introduced as, and I've lost my notes. Kurt Angle came down to the ring, introduced as the most celebrated real athlete in WWF history, (laughs) which I thought was a slightly odd line. Uh, He did come out to the Patriots old theme music, uh, for those of you who can remember that. And he was facing Sean Stasiak, who came out to absolutely no reaction. Angle took Stasiak down a few times early on, showcasing his amateur wrestling skills. The crowd... uh, evidently bored i guess chanted for the red wings which i had to look up the the, the detroit hockey team uh angle uh, hit a body slam followed with an overhead belly uh, belly to belly suplex stasek hit a clothesline before following with a sidewalk slam and a suplex which got two he hit a back elbow elbow and angle but angle came back with a hard clothesline angle ducked out of the ring grabbed the microphone and said you do not boo an Olympic gold medalist. I'm the best in the world. I came here for you. You do not boo me. He went back in the ring, hit a drop kick, before Stasiak came back with a shoulder tackle. Angle got an inside cradle for two before following up with a power slam. Stasiak put him on his shoulders and slammed him down um, before missing a crossbody block off the top. Angle then hit some sort of overhead spinning slam variation for the win at around the five minute mark uh rory over to you what do you make of this debut for kurt angle wow what a bizarre match this was and i mean that in the sense that it was so damn basic this is the kind of thing you could see on a sunday afternoon at your local gym only you wouldn't have mike modest lurking around the apron nor would you have roland alexander rolling around telling you to watch the fat content on things you eat Yes, everybody, I have seen Beyond the Mat. And yes, you should see it too. It is great. So level one was this match that given the style in the World Wrestling Federation these days, it almost felt avant-garde in a way. And I know, sure, it reminds you all of the classic John Lennon line, avant-garde is just French for bullshit. But this wasn't bullshit. And I want to say I'm very glad that it was on pay-per-view. Clearly bodes well. Kurt Angle. He hasn't got his own style, that word again, Dan, yet. But he was in there with Stasiak, who is just a warm body for him. Match went six minutes. Angle did nothing wrong in this one. He kept it very simple, which I think is very wise. And he's letting his character, already at this stage, just a few weeks in, do the talking. I have loved these vignettes. As, as a viewer, they've been tapping me on the shoulder, maybe whispering in my ear, saying, yeah, he's an Olympic gold medalist. You're really supposed to boo him, though. But just at the back of your head, you've got that thinking, yeah, he's, he's an Olympic gold medalist. So you know, he's not going to be the easiest person in the world to hate. When he comes out being called celebrated real athletes, he talks about the three eyes, and one of those is intelligence. Then you get the picture. Yes, this is a very auspicious start for the man. He needs to get an in-ring style of some manner down pat fairly quickly he's not going to have tackling dummies like sean stasiak to work with every day that's uh a lot of promise here dan what did you make of it all and the debut for angle 
the match itself i thought was just again like we said so basic but it was the ultimate epitome of like you know one and a half two and a half star match nothing nothing flashy nothing fancy just good old simple fundamental wrestling that the kind of wrestler that kurt angle would absolutely adore considering his amateur background but to me like as Roy has touched on here the conducting of this reaction and how the commentary team I thought was in this match was absolutely really good on top notch I mean the company comes out Jim Ross is you know bigging up his absolutely amazing credentials as an amateur wrestler King is you know giving him a bit of bashing by going you know is he going to be is he going to be able to handle the physicality of WWF and then as soon as the Kurt Angle comes out and cuts that little line, which could not have happened because the crowd may have cheered him. They, you know, we could, they could have just been, you know, silent. But the fact that there was booing in there was perfect for what, by all accounts, the WF want to happen. Kurt Angle is meant to be a heel. And as soon as that happens, they completely switch straight away. You know, JR is going, oh, I don't think that's a, that's a good way to talk to the fans and, uh, the crowd can do what they want. They paid the good hard money. They can say what they want to this man. He should be able to, you know, respond. He shouldn't be able to respond to that. And the and the king is immediately flips into praising the praise the heel mode. To me, this is just perfect. The you know, subtle pointers that this guy is meant to be a heel, and you're meant to boo him because he's so boring. In a world of crazy characters and boss man driving the big show's father's coffin away in a car, Kurt Angle stands out like a sore thumb in a really good way possible. He's something different by being boring and being solid, fundamental amateur wrestler. So I am very excited for this. And judging by the very sorts of raw amateur fundamental skills this guy clearly has, I think this kid could be on for a bright future but it's only one match i can't get hurt myself too much yeah and i mean on paper like if if i forget it's 1999 and maybe think it's a decade earlier um it does seem like a natural easy baby baby, baby face fit doesn't it american olympic hero but it's 90 it is 1999 and we've got a much higher ceiling with a hill gold medalist than we do with a babyface one because we're not in an era where i think if you you, if your entire gimmick is that i'm an american olympic gold medalist this is why you should cheer me i don't think that's going to work in today's climate and in today's era of wrestling so i think it bodes well for angle that he started out this way rather than a uh, babyface mid-card act that could quite easily fall by the wayside and I don't think with sort of how sort of, well, hot shot TV can be at times in this day and age. I don't think it would have taken long for that to happen. So the fact that he's on pay-per-view, the fact that this match was fine, basic, but absolutely fine. And the fact that he is a heel who was booed all bodes really well for him. So overall, nothing special in terms of um, like the show, but overall whole package together two thumbs up moving on we have our second four on four elimination match and we have val venus mark henry gangrel and steve blackman facing bulldog and the mean street policy rodney pete gas and joey abs so 
We started out with Bulldog and Val, with Bulldog hit, hitting a delayed vertical suplex before Gas tags in, hitting some weak punches, a kick and a slingshot, which sends Val into the corner. Val fights his way back into the match with a clothesline and a Bulldog before uh, Blackman hits a pump kick to eliminate Pete Gas. Rodney runs in. He hits a clothesline on Steve Blackman. Gangrel tags in and shortly thereafter hits the Impaler DDT on Rodney to eliminate him. Joey Abs is in next, but he misses his running running attack and gets crotched on the middle rope. Henry hits a big splash to get the pin, and we're down to four on one. Bulldog's the last man left. Mark Henry tosses him up in the air and sends him crashing to the mat. Gangrel goes up top, but Bulldog blocks it and hits a superplex to get an elimination back. Blackman runs in and hits a snap suplex for two. Bulldog is is uh, up and he hits a perfect plex which is enough for the free count and now we're down to two on one bulldog hits a leaping clothesline on val and henry at the same time venus uh comes back with an inside cradle but just gets two bulldog sends val outside but henry hits a corner splash a body slam and follows up with a big splash to the mat val goes up top and hits his money shot to pick up the win for his team our two survivors, Val Venus and Mark Henry. Dan, what did you make of this match? I think the only reason this match took place was for the WWF to overtly tell everyone that the British Bulldog is no longer going to be put onto the top of the card. He comes out with the Mean Street Posse. Are we? Are we? Are we kidding ourselves here? I mean, I love the Mean Street Posse. They're they're hilarious, but you do not put them in a match on pay-per-view because two of them have no wrestling training at all and one of them is plain mediocre um just this is just awful like the british bulldog is still nowhere anywhere close to the level he should be at the the face team of blackman gangrel mark henry and val venus all are heels <laughs> so who am i meant to be cheering <laughs> yes who am yes. i meant to be cheering for here exactly in this match um there was a pin on blackman with a perfect plex when his when his shoulder was clearly off the mat for the entire free count the bulldog didn't eliminate anybody with the running power sam despite that being his finisher and I'm still angry at Val Venus for coming out in England, making a joke about rugby and not using the word tackle at any point. <laughs> Terrible match. Move on. Rory, uh, anything to add? <laughs> uh, a few things, actually. Number one, Dan, at the time you were rightly critical of that particular promo from Val Venus at Rebellion, but you didn't bring up the tackle line then. So it's taken you at least a month to come up with it as well. So, but if you pardon this pun, why not cut Val Venus a bit of slack? <laughs> I've never given this man any credit. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. uh, one thing I do miss at traditional Survivor Series is team names. And some of the very fine ones, they just roll off the tongue, don't they? The 4x4s, the King's Court, Roddy's Rowdies, even a bit more recent, Bad Guys, Teamsters. And of course, jumping back to 1990, my very favourite one, Rick Martel's team called the Visionaries. Even if you're just going to do it for these four people here, can you please tell me why the Bulldog and the Posse were not called Greenwich Mean Time? It was right there, was it not? That is, that is excellent. 
I'm fucking wasted on this show, I tell you. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the call, waiting for the call to drop my fingers on the table. Um, match was pretty pants, though, wasn't it, really? Let's say eight heels going at it, so there's very little crowd involvement. One thing I did find rather interesting is that when it got down to 4-1, the Bulldog was allowed to pull a couple of eliminations back. So maybe he hasn't been completely ostracized yet, although any talk of him being in the main events is already long, long gone. I agree with Dan on that one. But uh, yeah, just sign me up, basically. Yeah, uh, not much to say on the match, really. Boring. Shouldn't have been on the card. Um, But I, I, I have to say, I really have enjoyed comments from both of you there much more than I uh, I did the match I, I can't believe I didn't like why did I not realise it was eight <laughs> and that's really tickled me Like the, I was like just completely nonplussed about this match <laughs> like, I, me by as well, yeah. I didn't care <laughs> at all to the extent that I didn't realise I watched a four on four match between eight mid card heels I think that just sums up this match yeah shouldn't have been on the sh- should not have been on the show Moving on, hopefully we turn the card around with this one, guys. Am I right? To an eight-woman tag team match. You heard me right. Come on. Survivor Series, eight-woman tag team match. Not elimination. So we've got Deborah, Moolah, Mae Young and Tori taking on Ivory, Jacqueline, Terry Runnels and Luna. We're underway with Moolah hitting a clothesline on Ivory uh, and Tori tackling Luna. Jackie and Luna hit a double suplex on Tori. She comes back with a double clothesline on Ivory and Luna. Mula tags in. She hits a body slam on Ivory before May gets in and they hit Ivory with a double clothesline before Mula hits a splash on Ivory for the pin at around the 90 second mark. Rory, uh, 90 seconds. <laughs> eight, 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 eight women. Um, what? could we possibly say well i'm not gonna make the 90 seconds eight women that's all it takes joke with this <laughs> i just want to make that clear <laughs> uh stopwatch is not at the ready yeah if you want uh, articulation out of me on this one mr white you're probably going to be left disappointed so i'm going to try and pick the positives and move very swiftly on positive number one this wasn't an elimination match thank you I was so relieved. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Moolah pinning Ivory again. Come on now. <laughs> it was amusing just... the first time. No, it wasn't amusing the first time. It's definitely not this time. <sighs> Dan? Remember how I said the boss man the big show was the best thing on WWF TV right now? This is by far and away the worst. I. This is insulting. This is absolutely insulting to women's wrestling and i know we're never it's not been anything that's been a focal point of this industry but you have got on one hand china who they are pushing to the moon as this role model for gender equality not overtly but it's implied and then you bring out this shit fuck this shit i cannot overstate how relieved i was when i heard this was not an elimination match (laughs) and i didn't have to suffer seven falls it was such a blessing and i think up until this point my highlight of the show moving swiftly on we have kane 
taking on his former friend and tag partner, X-Pac. So we open with Kane getting in some punches before X-Pac nailing a kick. But uh, Kane came back with a clothesline. Kane came back. That's a tongue twister. Uh, Kane went up top, uh, but X-Pac hit a drop kick that sent Kane outside to the floor. Uh, X-Pac headed outside and slammed Kane into the steps. Uh, but Kane fought back with some more punches and we head back inside. X-Pac set up the Bronco Buster in the corner, but Kane prevented it with a choke before hitting a backbreaker. Kane hits a boot to the face, following up with a clothesline from the top rope. Completely in control, Kane, like, Kane looked for the finish uh, with a choke slam, but Road Dog ran down, pulled Kane out of the ring. Kane nailed Roadie with a punch and X-Pac took advantage of the distraction, hitting an X-Factor for two. X-Pac jumped off the top, but Kane caught him, but Triple H ran in, nailing Kane with a shot with the WWF title for the disqualification just around the five-minute mark. Post-match, X-Pac, Hunter, Road Dog, they uh, beat on Kane in the ring. Toy ran down uh, and turned X-Pac around, and he hit her with a spin kick. Kane got back up, and the DX guys bailed and ran to the back. Uh, Dan, what did you make of this? Uh, I was I was a little bit disappointed with this. I mean, I, I, this is one of those shoes I have been quite invested in. Um, I've I've really have enjoyed the whole team of Kane next pack, and I've really enjoyed the breakup angle that they've done. And I was expecting something a bit better from this. Um, I know that X Pack is hurt again, and they are probably saving themselves for a bigger match, either at the Royal Rumble or or even next month's pay per view. But I still thought we could have got something a bit better out of this. Um, it was really short. And, yeah, I, I just thought that if you are saving yourself for this, you could have made the first chapter better. Um, because the chemistry appears to be there. I mean, X-Pac is, when he's hurt, he's good. And when Kane, that Kane's on good form right now. He look, He's looking in good shape. He's been in great shape for the last whole year and he's finally working with someone who can go in the ring as opposed to the big show or the undertaker or the big show or the undertaker or the big show or the undertaker i'm looking forward to seeing some fresh matchups with kane and i didn't get enough of it in this match so i'm hopeful that we're going to get better but for a good feud and a good tag team breakup storyline i want more and i want more now I should be I should be kind of feeling that I could have, you know, deferred gratification. I probably should give a bit more slack, like Rory suggested earlier. But, yeah, disappointment for me. Rory, what do you make of this? I was kind of OK with this, really. It was definitely more angle than match. It only went 4.15 and it didn't feel any longer than that. If it had and we had the same ending, I might have been a bit more pissed off with it. But... I can let it go for what it is because this is clearly not the end of the feud. I do agree with Dan that they're going to be building up to a big match further down the line. Having Kane being beaten down by DX works to further the storyline along. I'm interested. I'll just say that for now. I'm interested in the inclusion of of Tori here. I'm going to see where they're going to go with her, the relationship angle they seem to be teasing, where that's going to... I think they've dealt with the breakup, as I say, with X-Pac and Kane really, really well, because everybody wanted to see them come together, slow burn over a month, but they've done the breakup really well as well. Didn't feel particularly cliched, and X-Pac actually explained himself at the end of October to 
a heel that actually tells us why he turned. More of that, please, when it happens. One thing we do need to work on, this is more for the production team than anybody else. It was the old curse of the instant replay, because after Tory was kicked by X-Pac, the sidekick there, the replay showed that X-Pac actually missed by several million light years. But otherwise, I'm still interested. Yeah, two things for, for me, really. Um, I found this match slightly plodding as opposed to, like, generally, like, we know X-Pac can get a good match out of people. We know Kane has has potentially got something in him. But then when the finish came, sort of before that five-minute mark, and I saw what it was, I thought, you know what, fair enough. Why would you go? Why would you give away the good stuff when you're clearly building to something better down the line? So... My early thoughts on this were scuppered. Um, the only other thing was I immediately, when I knew we were having a replacement for the main event, I immediately thought it was going to be Kane uh, because of this. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely correct. Triple H running in, hitting Kane with the WWF title for the DQ. And then yeah. later on in the show, we need another challenger for Triple H's WWF title. I was like, oh my God, Kane's going to win the belt. That's it. And I would have been probably more on board with that um then what we got um and I, d- I don't know if either of you like i mean i've heard agreements in in essence that's what maybe felt like was being set up but how would how would how would that have gone down with you hypothetically that made a lot more sense let's say that yeah i was glad to mention this in the main event yeah i would have given this that shot to kane he just because he's been involved in all the title feuds like all yep. the all the multi-man Survivor Series matches, he's got history. You can make a storyline that he's gone through X Park first, then Triple H goes after him for the belt. I mean, he's he's more over than the Big Show. Yeah, I don't I, I don't understand why it wasn't Kane. And and then the the nonsense comedy of the funeral angle three days prior doesn't get convoluted and caught up in a main event scene. Like, yep, the whole thing would have been much better if Kane had been given that shot in my humble opinion which is right <laughs> so we move on to I, I guess another Survivor Series elimination match I'm not sure if we can call it that as the big show by himself faced the team of the big boss man Prince Albert Midian and Viscera um, I guess it's fair we can call it a Survivor Series elimination match as the big show was scheduled to be teaming with Kai and Tai and the Blue Meanie but Earlier in the night, he had attacked them uh, all on heat. So now was going solo. Um, the match is underway and Big Show runs wild, unleashing strikes. <laughs> Quite generous to call them strikes. <laughs> on all of his opponents. He hits a choke slam on Midian for the early elimination before grabbing Albert, who also took a choke slam of his own heading for his own elimination. Big Show followed this up, hitting Visser with a body slam. He picked him off the mat, hit choke slam, and eliminated him too. Finally, it was time for Bossman to enter the ring and for Big Show to have a chance at revenge. Uh, Bossman stood on the outside, looking at the Big Show before bailing, running to the back, and being counted out. The whole match lasted less than 90 seconds. Rory, what do you make of this? Yeah, it was tempered and quite badly tempered by what we saw a bit later on. But just in a vacuum, I thought this was really effective. It showed that the big show was pissed off and he just wanted to get it done. 
Midian, Albert and Visser are all completely expendable. Having them as fodder to a choke slam and then pissing off here, I'm perfectly fine with. Then you have the boss man running away like the coward he is in true honky tonk man 1987 fashion. If they'd left it at this, I would have been a lot happier, let's say that. But uh, we all know what's coming. Dan? Can't agree more with Rory on that front. Just everything that you want to do to build up the big show and make people want to see the big boss man versus the big show in a singles match done perfectly. However, this is a mid-card feud. It should stay in the mid-card. It's a great mid-card feud but it's no longer in the mid-card, so we have problems. Yeah, and I mean, we've got them back-to-back, haven't we? We've got the the, the the Kane stuff, where Triple H literally gets involved, and we've got this, where they continue the mid-card feud, and the heel runs away from the face. Like, when you take these two matches that are basically more angle than match, uh, back-to-back on this show, especially before we head into this backstage segment, like it's it, it just like I feel, it feels like such a missed opportunity that they went with Big Show in that main event spot instead of Kane. Um, and I think when the Big Show came out, I think it. I mean, I hardly had a high opinion of this show anyway, but I think that that tarnished some goodwill. Like it, it just it was like it was so obvious that that was the way to go. Like based on the way you've booked the show like triple h literally came out and attacked kane whereas the big show's match lasted less than 90 seconds because his guy ran away he's still got to get his hands on him we don't want boss man big show in the main event scene like yeah um my notes at the time said yeah i mean like Big Show looked great. He looked pissed off. And um, keeping the boss man Big Show singles match fresh for later down the line, generally a thumbs up. But by the main event, you can pretty much strike all that out and replace it with a big question mark. So moving on, we have a backstage segment. The time is drawing near. The World Wrestling Federation Championships await inside a triple threat match here today. Hey, wait a minute, there's... Uh-oh, Triple H getting right in Austin's face. First it was a rock, and now Austin. He's spinning his face. Uh, Triple H now running, and Austin, chase- Austin is chasing the WWF champion. I don't know where they're where they're headed, King, but Austin is chasing Triple H. What is Triple H thinking? First the rock, and now... Oh, wait a minute. There's a road dog, and x pop. Austin outside here in the parking area. Parking her garage looking for Triple H. Yeah, come here, you little bastard. What is this? Wait a minute. Good God Almighty! For God's sakes! That car just ran over Austin! That car just ran over Austin! Stone Cold just got run down! Oh my God! Oh my. Oh, oh dear God! Austin just got... Will somebody get back there? What the hell? Man, that leaves us in a... Stone Cold just got run over, ladies and gentlemen, by a car. I had a... we, I'm sure there's there's EMTs or somebody's going to be... Well, we're going to need... Uh, I mean, do we get somebody's got to tell there? us what to I, do. I, we gotta... let's, get a, let's get a camera out there. Uh, or let's... I'm, I'm Can you bit... go see what's wrong with him? Or get Stone somebody Cold back there. Stone Cold has just been run over by an automobile. That's the bottom line here. Stone Cold looking for Triple H. 
out in the parking garage. And as Austin walked out there looking for Triple H, Austin was run over by a car. I guess Vince McMahon is on his way back there. JR is going back there. This is just unbelievable. I mean, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. Come on. Hurry up. Somewhere over there. Triple H was chasing. Triple H was being chased by, by Steve Austin, and the next thing we see is Steve Austin in the back, and a car rams its way through a metal fence and runs right over Steve Austin. Back up, in the room. What the hell? you see this? Dots in the head of security and Vince is asking him if he saw who did it. Who was driving the car? You son of a bitch! You son of a bitch! Don't give me that shit! Oh my gosh! We see Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's there being interviewed by Kevin Kelly. Triple H interrupts and he attacks Austin with punches before bailing and running through the arena. Austin chases Hunter through the backstage area. They end up in a parking area. Car drives into the garage, which then runs Austin over. He bumps over the car. JR absolutely freaks out on commentary. Vince, Stephanie, Shane and Test all on hand running in calling for help. Vince yells at Triple H blaming him for the incident but Hunter refuses to take the blame. Austin's loaded into an ambulance and taken to hospital where uh, Vince also makes his way to the hospital to check on and be with Austin. Dan, what do you make of this angle? I mean, we covered a lot of what Austin being off TV means um, for the for the Fed and sort of the ramifications of that but what did you make of the way they did it uh i thought this was absolutely brilliant because it covers so many different aspects of it off if austin is back quickly in the four to six weeks that we said then he's got a ready-made feud ready to go for wrestlemania season if they want to go with triple h versus the rock for the main title you've now got intrigue if to work out who is the guy behind the wheel who has you know who is going to be elevated immediately by the to be the person that ran over stone cold steve austin and if austin is out for longer or if he is retired the guy got run over by a car like that is the ultimate way to write off someone on a for a long-term injury angle and it's never been done before it's fresh it's it's new it's it's something that we want to see is it's something that is again it's just something that we can now have a water cooler moment over about how the biggest baby face in wrestling was run over by a car this is ultimate soap opera storylines you know that the wwf is so good at i thought the way that the the other supporting cast played their roles were brilliant as well the all it this effectively stopped the show dead in its tracks and everyone acted like this was not meant to happen you got jr 
as you said, freaking out on commentary. And in the end, actually saying, sod this, I'm going to check on my friend. Running to the backstage area and seeing how Steve Austin is performing. The McMahon family all basically cuddling over to Steve Austin saying, is he okay? Is he okay? Acting like this is a serious incident, which it rightfully should be. And DX being assholes, you know, going... And even them going, this is a tragedy, this is, you know, we had nothing to do with it. But there's always the question mark in the back of your mind because Triple H tried this earlier with The Rock. Was he trying to run over The Rock too? Was this Triple H doing or is this a third party? There's, there's just so many facets to this angle. And I thought it was played perfectly. I, I really, really thought it came off well. But the one problem I do have with it was this was done on pay-per-view when A... We've already paid money to see Steve Austin versus The Rock versus Triple H. We're not going to get that now. The ramifications of, you know, misleading your audience are, you know, definitely something to be discussed. And also, is it killed an already pretty average to poor crowd's interest in the vast majority of the rest of the show. Which, if you're doing this for a TV show, for a TV angle, it's something that you can close the show out on and... Tune in next week to Raw to find out more information. But the fact that it's a pay-per-view, that crowd's stuck there for another hour, an hour and a half, knowing that Austin's probably not going to be in the main event, or if he is, it's going to be right at the end of the match. So why should I care? If I was in the arena, I would feel pretty ripped off by this, which I think the crowd definitely demonstrated throughout the rest of the show. So as a standalone angle brilliant as in terms of when they did it very questionable rory what did you make of it all i think dan has utterly nailed it both the angle itself and the moral implications as well there's nothing more i can add to what he has said there so i'm going to take a slightly different tack on this so they knew at this point they knew that austin was not going to be fit we still don't know the exact date it doesn't look as though they sat on this for weeks so that phrase again going to cut them a little bit of slack on that but they did know so it is a little bit of a scummy move i don't think anybody can argue that so if you have a situation where you do where the crowd not exactly flaming hot red wings to chris i know you like that reference now red wings hot during this one (laughs) you're never gonna forget that now i um (laughs) they need a bit of a boost in the mid card as that they have the opposite where steve austin is taken out of the match completely. And I entirely understand that with a whodunner angle being run over by a car, ready-made, up and ready, if you will, storyline for four to six weeks, four to six months, even four to six years, whenever he comes back, they will return to this. And so they should. I just wonder if they were being a little too clever here. As good as it was in its own right. Does Steve Austin need a storyline like this and i know he isn't the virtuous tears in my eyes thank my mother thank my father thank the big man upstairs baby face and the whole reason he isn't that is why we love him these days but it just is at the back of my head that they could have just told the truth here and they could have even done that on pay-per-view have austin come out in his own inimitable style saying that his neck is screwed He's been told to take some time off, but they could pivot to the whole line saying he doesn't care what the doctors say. They say my career's over or screw them. Uh-uh. 
Austin's going to be back and maybe gets to hit somebody else with a stunner, maybe even Triple H perhaps. So the fans have something big to cheer and there's not that uh, dull impact of watching him lying down in a car park for 10 minutes, nor the fact that people you know semi-interested throughout the rest of the matches because they're talking to themselves about who's going to replace him. I like the angle itself. I like how they did it. It was well produced. It was well presented. The role playing from everybody was very good involved. The storyline is there. But did they outthink themselves? Maybe they did. I can't really add much more to what either of you said there. Just Dan absolutely nailed it on sort of this angle is perfect for whatever the prognosis is for Austin. If he's back in a few weeks, great. If he's not back for a year, also got you covered. And if he can never wrestle again, this angle also has you covered. Absolutely perfect from this standpoint. Also agree on the timing and also agree with your analysis there, Rory. I think we've all, I think you two pretty much covered it. Um, yeah, just executed really well, um, but not without issue. And I guess the sort of impact of, of this angle really remains to be seen. And we, we don't know. We don't know how important this will be. Like, if if Stone Cold Steve Austin never wrestles again, then this is genuinely one of the biggest angles the company has run in years. Like that that is huge. Um, but if he is back in six weeks, then will we remember this this time next year? Like, it, maybe not. And so, I think the importance of this remains to be seen. So we uh, head back to ringside. Lawler's there by himself. Uh, Chris Jericho begins to make his entrance for his match against China, who's defending her Intercontinental Championship. Uh, but as uh, he does, uh, JR makes his way back to the commentary booth. We're underway in our Intercontinental Championship match. Jericho shoves Kitty down early before China hits him with a clothesline. China whipped Jericho into the steps before charging at him. But he moved and she crashed into the barricade. Uh, back inside, uh, China hit a running drop kick in the corner, but Jericho hits a low blow, which Tarana no sells, before hitting a sloppy looking Hurricane Rana. Jericho sends China into the ropes and she takes a bump over the top to the floor. He follows with a springboard crossbody to the outside, while tossing China around into the barricade a few times before they head back in the ring, where Jericho hits a missile drop kick for two. The crowd booed as China fought back with punches and cheered when Jericho took back control of the match with a bulldog. Jericho clotheslined China over the top of the floor, went out and forced a kiss on Miss Kitty. China came back with a spear and sent Jericho into the post. Back in the ring, Jericho hits a powerbomb, followed with a lion salt for two. China hit a springboard elbow in the corner, followed it up with a DDT, which got two. Ref took a bump. Jericho hit China with the title, but she kicked out after a slow two. Back up, China hits a pedigree, pedigree, but that also got two. Jericho applied the walls of Jericho's submission, but China managed to crawl to the ropes to break the hold. Jericho, very frustrated at this point, uh, took China up top, trying to set a move up up there. But Kitty caused the distraction, allowing China to hit sort of pedigree-esque move off the top for the pin around the 14 minute mark rory what did you make of this match 
Okay, first off, we've seen a lot of bizarre things in the course of this product, uh, in the course of this project. None more over the six years and three months than the image of Jim Ross coming down to the ring to Chris Jericho's Break the Walls Down music. So, yes, I made the mistake, you might say, of logging on to the Internet after this match. A mistake, Never do especially, that. especially as in my mum's basement, it was very cold. Um, internet wrestling fan, you see. Um, and every single one of my 28 KBPSs ground to a halt at the sheer volume and screed of invective being thrown at Chris Jericho doing a clean job to China at a WWF pay-per-view. They were hopping mad, let me tell you. I didn't have a massive problem with it. It's not where I saw Jericho three or four months into his WWF tenure, not by a long shot. But I'm going to say it one more time to everybody. There is still time. I myself am just starting to look over my shoulder a little bit because I said when he joined in August, if he's still faffing about in the mid card with the likes of China and Road Dog when we get to December, then you can turn around or make me turn around and tell me I was wrong. It's heading that way at the moment. I'm still going to hold out just the modicum of hope, but I am going to be proved right. We've had a lot of positive comments that we have sent China's way since we since she since she really started getting in the ring properly at the start of this year. I thought this was one of her worst performances, actually. She's lucky she was in there with Jericho. She was botching moves left, right and centre, didn't look comfortable. Her ring positioning was poor. Her move execution was weak. Jericho had a lot to do to hold this together. I think that's part of the reason why he started getting cheers here. But WWF, like they so often do, they panicked and they overcorrected. And because Jericho was getting a few cheers here, the next day they had him act completely out of character by tying China up locking her up in a darkened room and smashing her hand with a hammer and calling the fans idiotic for good measure just to show, no, 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 you're not allowed to cheer this guy. He's a bad guy. You're supposed to boo him. Jericho is not that sort of heel. And that sort of booking, these days, fans are going to see through that and say, oh, we see what you're trying to do here. We're just going to cheer him a bit harder. But Jericho losing in this match has got to come back to that point. The defeat was just about believable. He took a headfirst move off the top rope to somebody who has been promoted over the last year as a big deal. So I got it. I didn't like it, but I got it. However, even I will say now, I don't want to see too much more of it. Dan, what did you make of our intercontinental title match? Uh, uh, I... I... (laughs) I really wanted to like this match because it had a lot of stuff on paper that I should like. Like the crowd were invested. Half of them clearly had paid to see Jericho because of his connection to, you know, Canada and we're in Detroit. I I do like that sort of crowd investment. We had really good dramatic near falls. Good, you know, Jericho is always Jericho. I'm going to enjoy the majority of the stuff that he does. But as Rory has has, uh, mentioned, China was just nowhere near the level that she should have been to to get a good match out of this of this uh for what she sh- for the intercontinental title champion that she should be this wasn't anywhere near what i would have thought we could get she is being over pushed 
you know, simply put, for the level of ability that she has right now. And I'm not saying that, you know, because of the gender that she is. I'm saying that at the level of an experienced wrestler that she is. We've seen her have better matches before with Jeff Jarrett. We've seen her better matches before with the Road Dog of all people. So I'm sure that these two could get a very good match out of themselves. Maybe next month's pay-per-view, potentially. But yeah, I was disappointed with this match again. Um, and I, I do think that the finish was, on paper, again, a very good idea. But in execution, it just didn't look that believable. Um, it looked botched. It didn't look that it was, ex- you know, there's, there's big moves that you can pull off, you know, at a seven or eight out of ten level and still look really impressive. But this just wasn't it. And I was, yeah, kind of took myself out of the match. I'm not, you know, as worried as as Rory is. And certainly not, I'm, I'm not as worried as the Internet community is about Chris Jericho's position in the company. I still have faith in his talent to get further. And I still have faith that China is going is still going to be a big deal and will get better in the ring and will be the kind of, you know, good PR move that she is. Because thank God she's been finally moved as a face, a 100% face, not being aligned with Triple H. I think this has got this was the right decision to give her more of a individual platform. I just really hope that she can get better in the ring and put on the level of matches that her position in the card warrants. Um, so as an overall package, I thought this match was kind of disappointing, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's a completely fair assessment. I think this match didn't meet the expectations I had for it going in, under-delivered. When you look at it on paper, I do think sometimes I maybe overestimate uh, China's current ability, not her potential, but her, her current ability. And I do sort of... Maybe it's that I, I want this to work. I want it to succeed. That I maybe have more goodwill towards China heading into a a, a neutral match than I than it would do uh, other competitors. And I'm a fan of Jericho as well. So I, I was rooting for this match. I wanted it to be good. I, I wanted them to deliver, and they didn't, um, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, again, I think I maybe lean more towards Dan's assessment there in terms of my fears for Jericho. I do think it's early days, and I mean, this year has shown that basically, I, don't, I mean, this is quite a broad statement, but basically nothing matters. This show showed us that with the the way that we went into it with Big Show three days off a funeral angle then he did like a 90 second angle where the mid-card heel ran away from him but he ended it as the world champion and when you look at the year he's had at, at any well, well when you look at the big show's time in the wwf at any point he has not been positioned in a way that you would say oh he'll be a wwf champion i mean the only reason you you may have predicted that would would obviously have been his size, which from a Vince McMahon perspective, he obviously has in abundance compared to a Chris Jericho. But I think his early days in Chris Jericho's career still, and I think he'll have opportunities to show more of what he can do in the company. And uh, he'll have opponents where he won't have to work quite so hard to get quite so little out of it. Um, I, 
and yeah, I mean, I now I, I think the, the big show, the trajectory of his career in in the Fed is so weird because it it, it took about a week for them to start misusing him, and then he just ends up champion anyway. And I guess it's because he's big. Um, but a part of me thinks that, do you know what? If Jericho does impress the right people, then, then he'll get a push that he like, that, that is justified and it, it can happen just almost overnight in the fed. Like they can just decide on a given night, regardless of logic or common sense, that that's it. We're going to put, this tied to one Jericho, we're going to give Jericho this win over this guy, and that's how it goes because they can just do that. And I think he's talented enough to pull something like that off. And I think he's got more charisma than a guy like The Big Show has <laughs> to pull something like that off against common sense and logic. So, not a great match, under delivered, but I don't think it's uh, a, a drastic negative for either of the two involved. Next up, we have another Survivor Series elimination match. We have the team of Two Cool and the Hollies taking on Edge, Christian and the Hardy Boys. So we have a slow start with the faces alternating, taking turns, controlling a crash. Uh, we had an abs- but this followed with an absolute frenzy of uh, high spots um, with uh, Matt crouching crash on the top rope before knocking him down, hitting a dive off the top. Uh, sexy uh, nailed a sunset. Uh, flip into a powerbomb on Matt on the floor. Christian jumped uh, Grandmaster Sexy on the floor. Uh, Jeff was in the ring with Hardcore Holly. He gave him a, a back body drop over the top and that took everybody out on the floor. So just an absolute slow start. just sort of clinical tag team wrestling and then just high spot frenzy. As you'd expect, I guess, from uh, the babyface uh, side of the equation here back in the ring Christian's worked over by the heels for a while until Edge gets a hot tag and begins spearing everything that moves Crash manages to get a cheap shot and rolls Edge up for the first elimination the next soon follows Scotty Too Hotty hits a nasty looking top rope bulldog and pins Matt Hardy this is followed by a pretty dull sequence to be quite honest with you as Jeff gets worked over by both members of Too Cool Crash and Hardcore Holly argue over who gets to finish Christian off, and Jeff uses the distraction to hit a 450 splash on Scotty and pin him. Christian and Jeff mix and match their team's respective offense on Crash, but Jeff gets caught with a missile dropkick running into the corner by Hardcore Holly and is pinned after a leg drop. Christian strikes quickly, uh, nailing an impaler DDT on Grandmaster Sexy to uh, eliminate him, so we're down to just Christian battling against the two Hollies. Crash and Christian do a nice sequence that ends with Crash getting pinned after some uh, face buster. I'm not. I don't know what you call that move. I'm sorry. Uh, Hardcore uh, Holly manages to counter a victory roll and get the pin on Christian to win the match. So our sole survivor, our very lonely sole survivor, because it is just one man this time. Hardcore Holly picking up the win for his team. Rory, what do you make of this? Yeah, this one ebbed and flowed a bit, didn't it? It's one of those where, in the cold light of day, when I was watching the pay-per-view, I was a little disappointed that Holly ended up being the sole survivor. 
and his team ended up winning. But looking at it now with a bit of hindsight, a couple of weeks, I'm all right with it. I think Edge Christian and the Hardys, you know, they're already there. They got there last night, didn't they, really? So giving this other two teams a chance to shine, again, to go back to what I said at the start, it is only a Survivor Series match. And I don't think there's much there's much mileage to vary on how important they really are in their own right these days. But taken for what they are, a win is a win. We do very much have ourselves a tag division now. It's been a long time coming, but it's there. A lot of fun high spots in this one. Just the right length where none of the eliminations seemed a bit too unrealistic. Much like the opener, everybody involved did at least enough to consider themselves a fairly decent day's work in the 15 minutes. And it's one of those where I struggle to remember really what happened other than a few spots here and there until your play-by-play, Chris. But I look back at the result now, and again, I'm okay with it. We've got ourselves a tag division, everybody. A proper one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I always say it, but we're very far away from the uh, end of year show from last December. Uh, Dan, what did you make of this? Uh, I think this is the case study in what we talked about earlier, that the action I thought was really good, but the crowd were completely dead for this match because they, A, obviously saw what happened to their hero, Steve Austin, and then also what happened to some of their crowd's hero, Chris Jericho, in the previous match as well. So they really couldn't give two hoots about this match. And neither could the announcers, because all they could talk about was JR just being not interested because he was too concerned for the well-being of his friend. J- uh, J- Jerry Lawler, A, just butting in jokes about that. And also just, you know, Grandmaster Sex A, Grandmaster Sex A, Grandmaster Sex A. I know he's his son, but come on, just give it a rest a little bit. So when the announcers don't care and the crowd doesn't care, it's very difficult for me to care. And I wanted to care because I thought that this match's in-ring action was, was, as I said, really, really good. But it did affect me quite a bit with the whole surroundings and the attention that the rest of the people in attendance were given this match. Uh, I think it's probably one of those matches I could go back and watch and really enjoy it. But just coming back off it, watching it originally, yeah, I was I was a bit kind of flat watching this match. Yeah, I think you're spot on, really. This was very much a victim of the Stone Cold Steve Austin thing. The crowd were very flat, and the crowd didn't really match the action we got. Overall, I'd say, considering what we got last month with Edge, uh, Christian and Hardys, this is somewhat of an underwhelming pay-per-view follow-up for them. But I guess in wider context, it's good that we're not having a ladder match like that every month. Uh, Good for those four guys involved at the very least. But yeah, uh, again, I'd say maybe through no fault of four guys, sorry, the eight guys in the match, but... um, disappointing not as good as i expected um but yeah probably through no fault of those involved before we get to our next match uh we see shane mcmahon backstage he says that austin suffered severe head neck and back trauma he promises though that we will still have a triple threat in the main event but obviously it will not be with stone cold steve austin 
With that announcement, we move on to our next match with Mankind and Al Snow taking on the New Age Outlaws for the WWF Tag Titles. Foley cuts a promo on the way out saying that Austin is one tough son of a bitch and after the match they will be thinking of him. But until then, they're gunning for the Outlaws, which I think was smart as the crowd had, as we've noticed, the crowd had been noticeably flatter since the Austin angle. So I think Mankind coming out and acknowledging it, but saying, look, for now, this match is the focus for me, but like alluding to Austin, just a little bit of Mick Foley magic, I think, trying to win the crowd back on that night. Uh, We are underway, Gunn hitting a neck breaker on Mankind early on. Billy then applies the chin lock as the fans chant, we want head. So I guess... The fans did get slightly into this one. They brawl outside and Rhodey accidentally punches Billy. Back in the ring, Mankind hits a running knee into Road Dog's head against a turnbuckle. Foley hits a clothesline and follows with a chair shot to the back, to which the ref is apparently blind. Mankind and Snow takes turns working over Road Dog for a bit. Al Snow hits some hard-looking headbutts before Rhodey fights back with some punches. Billy Gunn gets involved and all four men are brawling. Gun drops Snow on the announce table and whips him in the bar- into the barricade. Back in the ring, Gun sent Snow throat first into the bottom rope before uh, the outlaws worked over Snow for a few minutes until Mankind eventually got the hot tag and nailing some punches on Gun. Um, Foley eventually caught though with a, a, a errant strike and uh, Gun hits the famous uh, with Road Dog covering for a two count. Foley hits a low blow to Road Dog that again, the ref apparently blind, although he did miss that one. Uh, Foley hits a double arm DDT on Billy Gunn and Snow nails the snow uh, snowplow slam on Road Dog. The ref was distracted by Snow for some reason, so both outlaws uh, kicked Mankind in the balls. Snow hit Gunn with head and Mankind covered for a two count. Uh, Road Dog sent Snow into the steps outside of the ring. Uh, before tripping up Mankind. Uh, Billy, Billy Gunn then hit a pile driver with Road Dog jumping off the middle rope, so sort of a spike double team uh, pile driver, which was enough for the win after around 14, 15 minutes of tag team wrestling. Dan, what did you make of our tag title match? Again, disappointing. Um, You've mentioned there you, the microphone magic with the microphone is is absolutely correct, but I yeah I think it's now time to say microphone magic in the ring I think is is becoming a very rare occurrence. He has noticeably put on weight. He's noticeably limping. He's noticeably slower in the ring. And judging by what there's been rumours around in the sheets as well about his time left with the company, are we at the stage now where we're going to have to relish every time we see Mick Foley wrestle because yeah it's starting to get quite depressing for me seeing one of the guys I have really started to appreciate in this project even more so by the year slowly winding down and yeah it's sad and unfortunately Al Snow isn't quite at the level yet to not covers the wrong word, but to bring the stardust that the rock could bring to Mick Foley, you know, the last couple of months to, to make up for it. And yeah, I, I never got into this match again. I know he, I know you referenced a couple of moments. I still thought the crowd weren't as invested in this match as they could have been. 
I just, yeah, and the ring, the ring, it didn't seem to know what they wanted to do in this match. Like, they wanted to do a traditional Mick Foley brawl, but I don't think they ever got around to it. They kind of wanted to do a New York Outlaws formula match, but again, the Outlaws are heels now, so they can't really do that either. And in the end, we just kind of got a mismatch of everything, really, and it wasn't good at either of things. So, yeah, another disappointment kind of being the theme for the overall show. Rory? Your thoughts? Yeah, another word on Mankind here. He gave an interview Mick Foley did a couple of weeks ago. It was reported in the sheets where he used the line, he's worried that he's running out of miracles. I really don't think there are too many left at this point either, just considering where he was. I mean, this guy was world champion three months ago, albeit for a day. It's still, you know, his name there. It's, it's there on the plaque. Mankind World Wrestling Federation champion August 1999 and of course the two times before that this year and now here he is looking noticeably haggard unkempt and I don't just mean how his character chooses to dress hunched he looks beaten in the most literal sense beaten and this all as far as our eyes are concerned, week to week, month to month, has happened very, very quickly. Uh, even in the triple threat at SummerSlam or the match after the day after on Raw with Helmsley, I don't remember him being this poor, even in the Rock and Sock connection. And that was just a matter of weeks ago. Whether it's just been a deterioration that we haven't wanted to notice, I'm not sure, but I'm certainly seeing it now when... There is somebody who, if he did choose to hang it up, he could do in pro wrestling whatever he wanted to. He could go into commentary. He could be given the book. And whatever he chooses, we would be the lucky ones. But at the moment, at least, he's still an in-ring competitor. And there's not a whole lot for us. Yeah, this was a story of two or three matches welded together very poorly. They never really had a sense of which one of those they wanted to pick. And it meandered around for a very long 14 minutes. And the spike pile driver finish. Now... I'm not sure I really want to see that at this stage of the game. I mean, pile drivers themselves, you know, are they, in a way, they look what one of the pile drivers did to a certain somebody we were talking about in the news two hours ago, you know, and now it's being used. The spike variety, very hard to do safely, is being used as a finisher. So that concerned me. But my biggest worry going forward is the condition of Mick Foley. He might not be too long for the in-ring world, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, on the match, just a quick one, really, for me. Um, below par, um, I think you're both right in your assessment, as as always. Um, not quite sure stylistically. It knew what it wanted to be and thus failed to be whatever it did try to be. Um, could have done with a lot of time shaved off. Mainly on Mankind. And I think you're on the money again, the both of you. Um, Rory, you're, you're spot on. I, I mean, certainly... No, it's a huge drop off between Rock and Sock Connection. What October? Like last month? That's going on. That this is what the 14th of the month. So within the last two to three weeks, like to now, there is a drastic difference in Mick Foley. Um, not even talking about mankind here. Just the the man behind mankind is. He does look. He doesn't look in a great place, and I hope we don't end up in a situation where, because we we all know how much 
wrestling means to this man and how much Mick Foley loves professional wrestling, where we think for the next six months, for the next however long, did he hang up? Like, I, I love and respect his contribution to the business too much to want to see him hang around when he should hang up the boots and we're dangerously close to that territory if not now firmly in it and maybe it was because it's such a drastic and almost sort of caught me out of nowhere how how poor he looked here maybe it's just a bad night just a bad week just a bad month and maybe he will bounce back physically look in a bit better shape maybe shake off the limp a bit or maybe it is the beginning of the end and as uh, one of you said we need to start to cherish the moments we have mankind on our screens because they may be few and far between as a professional wrestler um from here on in so finally, we get to our main event of the evening. So The Rock is out. He makes his entrance first. And um, the referee is Earl Hebner, um, who is here instead of Vince, because Vince has, of course, gone to the hospital uh, to check on Austin. Triple H is out next before we find out who the third and final participant in the match is. And after the best individual performance since Carnu at the bridge a few short weeks ago, we find out that Austin's <laughs> replacement is <laughs> the big show out to almost okay. no reaction at all. Triple H did his best facially to, to sell this as terrible news, but nonetheless, no crowd reaction at all, really. So uh, we are underway. Uh, Big Show hits a boot to the face of each man, followed by a headbutt to Hunter. Uh, Show knocked Rocky down with a back elbow and hit Hunter with a huge chop. Hunter and Rock worked together to get Big Show out of the ring before Rocky shoved Show into the ring post. Triple H and Rock uh, brawled around the outside uh, for a bit before the action headed back inside the ring. Big Show still on the outside, eventually rejoined the action, hit another big boot on Hunter, but missed a corner charge. Rocky tossed him, uh, tossed uh, Hunter out of the ring uh, and hit a people's elbow on the Big Show. But, uh, Triple H got back in the ring to break up the pin. Uh, Show dumped Triple H out of the ring and they uh, brawled up the aisle with Show throwing Triple H into the guardrail up by the entrance ramp. Uh, Rocky hit a clothesline on Show and followed with a punch uh before triple h took a reasonably uh small bump through a table by the entrance area by table bump standards um hunter hit rock with a clothesline as the brawling by the entrance continued rock grabbed a fire extinguisher hit show in the face with it before hitting a suplex on triple h on the floor hunter came back with a low blow uh uppercut to the big show um they brought their way back to ringside and show whipped Triple H into the steel steps. They brought around ringside until the Rock hit Big Show with the ring bell. Hunter and Rock then teamed up to hit Show with a suplex through the Spanish announce table. Uh, Rocky and Hunter then brought through the crowd for a few minutes and when they got back to ringside, the Big Show was still down. Uh, the Rock then accidentally hit a clothesline on the referee. Triple H went for the pedigree. Uh, but 
The Rock was able to counter, flip out of it, and hit a slingshot. Rock bottom by The Rock, and he covered, but there was no referee. Shane McMahon ran down to the ring in a referee shirt, and he counted the two. Rock hit, hit another Rock bottom. He went for the cover. Shane counted, but this time, Big Show was there to pull Shane out of the ring. Big Show beat Rock uh, beat up Rock outside the ring. Uh, before back inside, he uh, threw uh, trip, uh, excuse me. For back inside, Big Show threw Triple H across the ring. Show uh, threw Rock into the steel steps before Hunter grabbed his WWF title, but Shane for some reason stops him from using it. This meant Hunter hit a pedigree on Shane. Rock took advantage of this distraction, hitting a DDT on Hunter before Show ran in, took down Rock with a forearm. Then we had a a parade of interference as Billy Gunn, Road Dogg and the X-Pac all ran down to attack Show and The Rock. This brought out Vince McMahon. Wait a minute, look at this. Oh, it's DX. It's DX and Mass. DX and Mass here to save Triple H's title. This is over now, JR. The Road Dogg and X-Pac attacking The Rock. It's Mr. Ass on the, on the big show, but no referee in sight. Well, Shane's up there, but he's out of it. DX is here to save Triple H's title, and here comes Vince. Here comes Vince McMahon. Look at the look on his face. Vince is back from the hospital with Stone Cold. Vince McMahon in the ring. Now, Vince has got the title belt. Vince McMahon has the title belt in his hand, King. Look out. What? Uh-oh, oh, going for Triple H's head. No, he got it. McMahon just knocked Triple H down with the belt. The big show for the top slam. No, I can't believe it. The big show. McMahon has screwed Hillsley. This McMahon has screwed Triple H. And it's showtime. It's showtime. Triple H has lost the WWE. Magically returned from the hospital, who hit Hunter with a title shot to the head. Oh my God, he got it right finally. The Big Show, followed by hitting a choke slam on Triple H, and Vince counted the three, which means your winner and the new WWF champion coming out of Survivor Series 1998, three days after his father's funeral, approximately one hour after the best individual performance I've seen since Carnu at the Bridge. The big show. All Post right, match. all right. I'm a Chelsea fan here, Chris. You can't <laughs> hurt me that much. Post match, uh, show is seen crying, celebrating his winning the title. Vince checks on Shane and DX help their man Hunter to the back. Lawler called this the most unpredictable Survivor Series ever, in a little wink to the camera, I imagine. And JR reminded us all that Big Show had only just buried his father on Thursday. We go off the air with Big Show celebrating. Rory, what did you make of this? And uh, I mean, we've spoken about it quite a lot throughout the show so far, but Big Show, WWF champion. Okay, match first. I don't want to be hypocritical here because I said I liked, say, the Triple H Shane match we had on Raw a few weeks ago. But there's a huge difference between a six or seven minute fuck fest on Raw and the 20 minute ones we now get by rote every single pay-per-view my patience is now gossamer thin with this style of main event i appreciate i am probably in the minority 
on that score. But if you want me to cheer up as we get towards the end of our WWF pay-per-view reviews each and every month, then this style of match should really start to change. But because everybody likes it and it's very easy to put any wrestler into it, that isn't going to happen anytime soon. So I just have to suck it up. Yada, yada, punch, punch, down the aisle, table bump, through the crowd, back in, multiple interference, ref bump. Another ref gets up, somebody wins, da di da When you break it down like that, how can anybody like that style of event? They were WWF are doing huge business right now, and I am just here talking about them in my bedroom on a Friday night. But it was, I suppose, a decent example of this style of an event. I've said style a lot this uh, this day, haven't I? <laughs> you either got it or you ain't. Only really this year, I would say, well, Mankind Rock from Royal Rumble doesn't really count. Probably only Rock Undertaker from King of the Ring fell below the line. Everything else has at least been watchable to decent, to in some cases extremely good. This was hovering around that. The first 14 or 15 minutes didn't really matter. It was just a case of what we were going to get to. And we got to, after all of that stuff, Vince McMahon timing it right. <laughs> Coming back with the belt. Finally. Uh, did you notice, though, that he actually only hit Hunter with the belt at the second attempt? Yeah. He actually that missed the first did. one. I, I kind of hoped that he wasn't meant to miss it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a uh, Buster Douglas on randy savage at the main event in 1990 type thing but he got there in the end and the big show won the world title isn't it something agents isn't it something this entire year we have talked about how they have fucked up the big show as a main eventer right from his debut when he comes up through the ring it's a valentine's day massacre and it's booked to make right horlicks of it by flinging austin through the cage Multiple already face and heel turns. They've tried everything. Pairing up with the Undertaker, playing was a a strength arm, uh, as a rogue babyface. Everything they've tried and it hasn't worked. And now, as we know, the long mooted WrestleMania main event of him against Austin is not going to happen. That's the point they put the WWF title on him. <laughs> when we know that he will drop it if he is he. It would actually would not surprise me if by the time you hear this podcast, he is no longer the WWF champion. I can see that happening. This was a panic measure. And they have, again, completely overcorrected, having not booked him like the ransacking, marauding monster he should have been, where he just pushes, destroys everybody in his path on his way to the world title. Here they give him it as some sort of sop to try to send the crowd home happy in a situation where, sad to say, he has no real business being involved in. Mid-card feud with the boss man. A very funny one, but a mid-card feud with the boss man. Mowing through lower mid-carders earlier in this pay-per-view. Both of those things are fine. Those two things can work together. Making him the WWF champion when he has no say in the build whatsoever, that does not belong as part of this. And I do feel a bit sorry for Paul White in all of this because when he got the call at the start of this year, 
seven-figure sum. All the rest of it thought he was going to be pushed to the moon. They somehow conspired to screw it up when it was in their hands. And now they've done the whole horse-bolted barn door sort of thing, if you get me. Too much, too late. Dan, uh, what did you make of uh, all of this, the the match and, uh, and of course, our new champion? I think we've covered what our collective thoughts on the big show being promoted to WF champion in one night are. And I thought the match itself was, uh, you know, like Rory has said, it's been done so often that even a good match feels repetitive and not boring is the wrong way of saying it but it's just like okay i've seen it before what else have you got and when you've got you know the big show who has just been thrust into this position so quickly it's, there's no there's no obvious chemistry between the three guys they just did a paint by numbers wf brawl you know automatic three stars which is you know fine but given what has come before the show and given what they needed to deliver to get the crowd back on side, is uh it wasn't enough. And it wasn't enough for me either. It was and yeah, I I I didn't think it was the main event that the card needed to save it. And I will touch I think we'll touch on more about what the ramifications for Vince McMahon's uh screwing of Triple H out of the WF title means going forward after one segment in particular happened at the end of the month, but I am not excited for any of the three participants in the main event's trajectories going forward, and that includes the current WWF champion. So for the third year in a row, Vince McMahon screws someone out of the <laughs> WWF title at Survivor Series. He just can't help himself. Brett in Montreal, Mankind last year, and now perhaps the biggest of them all, Hunter Hearst Helmsley for the big show and this time he's a face just yeah survivor series and vince if you're the champion just (laughs) beware yeah i mean the match was good um but i don't know i why but it, it did feel below what i would call par for this type of a wwf main event so overall another underwhelming match for survivor series uh the listener will you you will know my thoughts and big show as champion and him being coronated on this night um yeah i all feels a bit weird and i mean they didn't plan for the for the austin stuff to rear its head at this particular time why why would you um i felt like they they did the angle to set it up almost perfectly um and then the very next step completely messed it up um i agree with you dan i don't i don't feel happy or excited about the future of any of these guys um i don't know what this does for the rock and i don't know what vince and triple h feuding does for the rock i don't know what big show having this belt well, he's very evidently in a comedy mid-card feud, does for The Rock. And you're going to need The Rock because you haven't got Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Mankind isn't 
what what he was a few months ago or you a few years ago and i don't know it wasn't the time to put the title on the rock i don't know what it was the time to do here but i don't think it was the time for this with that uh, we'll move on to just general overall thoughts on the show and score rating out of 10 uh, rory starting with you please yeah, I think this is a show we're going to look back on in months and years to come. But we're going to look back on it for, certainly not for what we enjoyed, but what it actually gave us. There are a lot of questions coming out of this show. But, um, not many of them I really want to see answered. And if you do watch this one, say, a couple of years down the line, completely free from the context, though, that's when you're really going to struggle. You've got very little else to latch on to. You've got blah Survivor Series matches that don't mean a whole lot in any grand scheme. The singles matches, I'm just looking at the card now, say they're either more angles than matches or they are just poorly executed. And it may well be we come back to look on this as the greatest moment in Paul White's WWF career. <laughs> I'm not even sure he would be particularly happy with that either. In two or three years' time, maybe we'll have others to go alongside it. I'm not so sure. But I don't think this one has much replay value. A lot to discuss, as we have found out over the last 90 minutes or so. Given Austin, given Big Show, given Jericho even. But as an event to sit down and watch for two and a half hours, I can't really recommend it. So for nuisance value as much as anything else, I'm giving this one a four out of ten. Dan, over to you. Overall thoughts and a score rating out of 10. I'm going one below, Rory. I'm going for a 3 out of 10 because the word I probably have used more often than not on this show has been disappointing. So what, like, in objective sense, I would say that there were three matches on this card that were good, but all three of those matches I thought were going to be better than what they were. Now, maybe I shouldn't review matches like that, you know, when I review a show, because I should just judge on what a show gives me rather than what I want it to give me. But, if you know, when I come out of here thinking, do I get value for money? One, I got disappointed in matches. And two, and the biggest reason of all, is that I did not get to see Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event of a triple threat match. And say what you will about how good the angle was to get us there. But if I putting down cold hard cash and I lose my top star I don't care and I've got the big show of all people to replace him so yeah this was a really disappointing show with as Roy said good discussion points but as a viewing experience with good wrestling no this wasn't that wasn't that at all three out of ten yeah I think if the if you if you're to say if, five out of ten is bang average middle of the road show i'd knock one off for the fact that there was nothing that met or exceeded my expectations here in a in a really big way i did think the kurt angle match was 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 fine and and promising but ultimately nothing to go out your way to watch um and if you would knock one off for the the sort of bait and switch as it were main event austin being written out of the main event merely an hour beforehand maybe even knock off another one just for the 
the clumsiness of pushing the big show into that spot. So what are we down to? A two out of ten. Just to be generous, I'll throw on another mark just because the women's match wasn't an elimination match. <laughs> so we'll, we'll balance things out with a nice three out of ten for me. So before we round off this show for the month, we've got one major angle that I'd really like to talk about in detail rather than just leaving to the TV reports. This came on the very last Raw of the month and the time had finally arrived after the delays and the concussions and the, <laughs> the oh my God, all of it between Test and Stephanie McMahon, the time had arrived for the wedding. Um, the bridesmaids took their place Matron of Honor, Linda McMahon, escorted to the ring by Shane. Test. He walked down to ringside, suited and booted. Vince escorted the bride to the ring to give her away. We had a heartfelt song for the couple. And it was time for the ceremony, the, the wedding of the year. The, the minister asked if anyone objected. And guess who made his way down the ramp? Triple H. He's on stage and he has a little video to show us. He's driving a car. He's in Las Vegas and he's driving into a wedding chapel on the Vegas Strip. He arrives at the window to get married and we finally see the bride to be. It's a highly sedated Stephanie McMahon. Triple H says the vows for both of them. And uh, (laughs) Jesus, he puts a ring on Stephanie's finger and says, I do. And with that, they're married. I guess that's legal. Stephanie McMahon uh, knocked out by the drink that she'd been offered earlier at her party. And Triple H and Steph drove away in their wedding vehicle. In the ring, Stephanie cried her heart out to Test and Vince. Hunter asked Vince the following. Oh, God. As a member of the immediate family, you can only have one question, Dad. Not did we, but how many times did we consummate the marriage? Stephanie sobs her heart out. Vince comforts her as the show goes off the air. Test is absolutely livid. And that's how Raw ends for the month. Uh, Rory, (laughs) what did we make of all of this? Oh dear, that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, I do make something of it right from the start. That's the only place I can even think to begin. Just the, the campness just rocked up to the max. You know, first off, the people, the attendees at this wedding. You know, what the fuck's Matt Hardy and Christian and Sean <laughs> freaking Stacey out there? You've got the associates walking down with May Young and Fabulous Moolah because, of course, you have. Ha ha ha. In the weeks leading up to this, he has, understandably, to add a bit of realism, been announced by his birth name. But he comes down to the ring to his music as announced as fucking test <laughs> to his own sodding wedding. <laughs> he got Stephanie doing the one bit of happy acting she knows, Fig's grin. Vince is yucking it up, of course, as only Vince can, so he's he's saving this. And then we have that icky, vomit-worthy saccharine song. It's all going really badly. Are oh, you going really well? <laughs> okay. And I thought they, oh, you've said there, Chris, when you were running through it, we all knew who was going to answer to speak now for the whole thy piece, whatever, objections. But there was a bit of a pause just after it, because as soon as he said that, all the crowd were like, ah, oh, here we go. Come on then, Triple H, down you come. But he didn't. He actually waited a few seconds to do it. 
I thought that was just a really nice subtle touch. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, is this actually going to go off without a hitch? Ha ha. Then he starts speaking again. Then the music goes off and then it hits. But even then, do not try to tell me you predicted what we were going to see for the next five or six minutes. They actually went to the Little White Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is 100% legitimate. Some of the famous people who've got married there. Uh, Frank Sinatra and Mia Farrow got married there in 1966. Uh, Joan Collins and Peter Holm in 1985. Bruce Willis and Demi Moore in 1987. Michael Jordan and Juanita Van Oy in 1989. And now look who we can add to that. Well, I was going to call it an illustrious list, but it was nothing until these two got on there. (laughs) Triple H is yammering on for five or six minutes. Now, I'm not always his biggest fan, as might have become pretty clear over the last four and a half years. I thought as dreadful as his dialogue was, he was just hamming it up and was having a bit of a whale of a time, actually. So I, as a viewer, did too. When, I don't know if any of you picked this up, but, uh, you can tell this is all actually shot in one take. When Triple H is telling them to get it done quickly, that was probably real. And... I was laughing my way through this, as I'm sure most people watching were. It was only right at the very end, but just before Triple H's killer line, which you have enunciated so well there, Chris. It was just before that. where, And then and only then did I realise, oh my God, fucking hell, they've, they've just done something where he slipped something into her drink. She's unconscious. He can do whatever he wants with her. And ah, oh, fuck, she's, no, they've just got married. No, and Wade Keller made this point in the PW Torch that that's sailing very close to a rather specific wind. It's much like a lot the Federation have done this month. They didn't necessarily have to go there. And it's at times like this where some of the criticism they get from our friends at the MSM makes it's a little easier to understand where they're coming from. I'd so I, it would be remiss of me not to mention that. It gives him something to sink his teeth into, no pun intended, by the way, for the next month or so. It gives something genuine for him and Vince to feud over. They've been feuding since Vince took the belt off him in September. Hasn't really had much of a direction. Now it has. And of course, if, much like the who done an angle with Austin. We've got weeks of television and how on earth they're going to have Hunter and Stephanie on screen as a married couple. Dan, over to you. Oh boy. Um, I retract my statement. This is clearly EastEnders. Dirty Dan Helmsley. The ultimate soap opera villain. Merry and... Christmas, uh, Stephanie. Uh... <laughs> That one works better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is a very big kind of two-faced S coin here that we've got here. On the one hand, yes, of course, judging by what I said about Bossman and Big Show, yes, I loved the majority of this segment. Just, it is so absurd. It's so silly. It's so soap opera. And yet it's so dramatic at the same time. Like, let's just break it down. Triple H, the biggest heel in the company, the Probably you know, the top here in the company has married the boss's daughter in <laughs> kayfabe. That's like you can't get much bigger than that. And we've already had some, uh, and we've already had a top baby face run over by a car. Like in terms of storyline development, this is probably one of the biggest months ever in WWF history. 
And yes, as Roy has pointed out, it is so absurd what that whole six minute long, you know, camcorder shot footage was that it was kind of, you know, you, you get taken along for the ride. But yeah, I mean, Roy touched on this like earlier in the show, but to me, this went over the edge and got into this is just uncomfortable when you kind of take a step back from it and think about it. We've got a woman who has been drugged unconscious and has been forced to marry someone who is clearly a complete and utter asshole and is clearly distraught by it in the ring this isn't you know played for laughs like it was earlier this is actually a a, a poor innocent woman who has been probably the purest white meat you know supporting character the wf have had all year just being complete being traumatized again She's already had one wedding and now she's got a second one being forced upon her. This is, you know, if the parent television council wanted to take apart this angle, they rightfully could do. And they can go, hmm, what's, is there anything more to this? Oh, yeah, we've had the guy who's just forced the person to marry her, you know, basically taunt her dad that he has had, you know, intercourse with a drug or a drugged woman. This is not good. And I mean, this from you know, this is the main event angle. This is probably going to main event next month. This could, I think, this could land them in hot water if they're not careful. Um, it went too far overboard for me. It's one of those things where you think back on it and going, yeah, this is this is this is too far for me. I felt uncomfortable watching it and looking back on it in hindsight, even with the hammy acting and even with the hammy kind of you know how the events played out and everything that came with it. To me, this went. This could, you could have easily done one of the two. You know, easily done the, the the forced marriage, but you didn't need to have that one closing line, which pushed it over the edge for me. Um, but and again, as I've as I've talked about throughout the, the whole year, really, I'm so tired of seeing Vince McMahon in main events. I've I had it up to I had it enough with Austin when that was the hottest feud in almost wrestling history. I don't need to see Vince McMahon against Triple H. I'm assuming next month on pay-per-view and I'm assuming in the main event because it's Vince McMahon. I don't need to see that again. So I'm not interested in the consequence of this amazingly dramatic storyline and, and storyline angle. So yeah, for me, I'm more interested in what happens after that match to see how they're going to coexist together. It's definitely going to be the damsel in distress that is the, the reason for Tess being elevated into the main event scene. Is we, Are we going to have her be a big supporting character like Shane has been for the last year? Yeah, I'm more interested in what's going on, but to me, this I, I am not a fan of the immediate repercussions of this angle, no matter how silly it was played it played up to be and like from you know just from my watching perspective it was compelling television like just how often do you get to see like something that big happen on your television screens for free in a, as a wrestling show like so yeah it's uh it's definitely got its problems i don't like where it's going but yeah car crash tv at its best and worst yeah there was a point during this this angle where a part of me was thinking holy shit 
this is basically like as good as a double turn for me like it's 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 early in the footage and it's it's just hunter just dicking about they're like putting up you can see where it's headed and it's like this is genuinely hilarious to like crash this wedding like it's far too funny for top badass heel and like it's the mcmahon's it's not hard to make the mcmahon's the heel the heel side of any equation and then by the end of it you have the line about consummating the marriage and you think ah okay i've just realized what's happened there he's insinuated as you quite rightly pointed out dan uh that he's had intercourse with this poor passed out drugged woman ah like and then the whole thing becomes more than slightly uncomfortable and the show goes off the air and this is one of the mold most bold as fuck things i've ever seen the wwf do in the face of all the stuff you spoke about in the news rory with the uh, the sort of backlash they've had recently to some of the violence and uh, more mature content on tv to end their monthly tv programming with that line with that moment with that insinuation is just like so far out of what i would have dared to do at my most dastardly like in my most dastardly thoughts it's like how can we end the how how can we ruin this wedding like what what are we going to do how's the wedding going to go wrong if you brainstorm that scenario i think that the most evil like case scenario i would have come up with would have been so less drastic than that insinuation of that 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 line brings that is just like i don't know it's just so weird like the you start recapping the angle and it's it's hilarious and then by the end of it it's just uncomfortable it's still like parts of it like absolutely hilarious but obviously like just subject matter wise you're heading into dodgy ground and um i think it's difficult to know as like i think we spoke about during the show review when we were talking about the main event like what does this do for the company in a post austin world and and then i mean the short answer is not a lot because in a post austin world you need the rock and it's like in a post austin world is triple h is heel triple h against babyface vince mcmahon gonna pull those ratings and gonna pull those buy rates and to me no that's a huge drop off from that peak austin era i mean um like in in terms of if that's a if that's the direction for the next year how austin and vince was for basically a couple of years like we've lost a lot there um so it'll be interesting to see how this develops next month but yeah overall just a very conflicting and confusing angle and i think it's been that's quite reflective of sort of the month on the whole like 
some of it was hilarious, some of it was troublesome, but all of it was confusing. Um, and I think that's pretty much how the WWF has been in November 1999. And they finished up there, just want to say as well, just to round this one off, probably the most outrageous they have got by heavily insinuating, and I hope they clean this one up over the next month. Uh, I said I enjoyed the angle. Enjoyed, no, I'm saying enjoy, that's not the right word. I was there with the angle. But yeah. You guys have made the right points. Uh, I want to boo Triple H because he is an arsehole. I don't want to boo him because he is, okay? Mm-hmm. Not a place professional wrestling should go. And on what edition of Raw did they decide to do this on the first one where they lowered the rating from TV 14 to TV PG. Just think about that. Uh, All the things they've done this year, they do that probably their most outrageous when they drop the rating. Illogical and ballsy. I don't know if it's stupid or brave. Um, Probably a bit of both. There's a mighty fine line between the two. And I think that will nicely do it for our WWF November 1999 coverage. Uh, Dan, firstly, thanks to you for being on the show and your excellent contributions as always. Cheers, Chris. Uh, I can't beat the car new line, but I try. I tried my best. <laughs> um, anything to plug, Dan? You'd like to plug before we wrap up, or just just, uh, just keep in mind we've got the. Uh, well, we will go kind of a bit more detail, but we have, you know, two of our big specials for the end of the year. We've got our uh, leadership, leadership uh, mailbag questions coming to this up, you know, podcast feed near you next month. So if you've got a burning question for any of us on anything related to wrestling or anything related to Arsenal Football Club, Chris, <laughs> please send your questions over to, to, to Rory and the boys and we'll get us answers for you or. We've got our end of year awards show coming up next uh, month as well, which is always a highlight. So look forward to more drastic disagreements and uh, interesting, you know, interesting tactics to come your way that month as well. Cheers, Dan. And uh, Rory, thanks again. Uh, always great having you on as a guest and having um, some more of your analysis and hosting a show when you're one of the guests is always great. So thank you. Uh, My yeah. pleasure, sir. More any more from you on what we've got coming up in the next month or so? Yep, uh, end of year award show will be coming up in December alongside our normal December shows. All your favourite categories, yes, the Wahoo for unbearable shitness will be included. That one's going to be fun. And the mailbag episode, just get your questions to us, mainly on pro wrestling, but I'm sure I can let one or two others slip the net. If there's anything you particularly want to know, just drop us a line on Twitter and Facebook. We will get to as many of them on the air as we possibly can. Uh, Chris, Chris and myself will be trawling through those. So any question, anything you want to know about us, pro wrestling, history of our fandom, our views on the current product, Send them our way and we will do our best to get to them on the show, which you will be hearing round about Christmas time. I'll give you one for free. If you're if, if any of you are wondering which my favorite car new girl was, it, it was the third one. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, thank you uh, for listening. And uh, as always, it's much appreciated. And uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed the show. And uh, please do get your questions in for anyone who's a contributor for this podcast get your questions into us twitter or whoever 
you contact us Twitter, Facebook, and uh, we will do our best to get all of them answered for you next month. But until then, I've been your host, Chris White. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye. We are gathered here tonight to celebrate one of life's greatest moments, to give recognition to the worth and beauty of love, and to add our best wishes to the words which shall unite Andrew and Stephanie in marriage. Tonight our hearts are filled with great happiness on Andrew and Stephanie's wedding night, and they come before you pledging their hearts and lives to one another. Grant that they may ever be true and loving, living together in such a way as to never bring shame or heartbreak into their marriage. Help them to remember to be each other's sweetheart, helpmate, best friend and guide, so that together they may meet the cares and problems of life more bravely. May the home they are creating tonight truly be a place of love and harmony where your spirit is always present. Bless this marriage, we pray, and walk beside Andrew and Stephanie throughout all of their lives together.
Andrew and Stephanie. Just as two very different threads woven in opposite directions can form a beautiful tapestry, so can your two lives together merge to form a very beautiful marriage. To make your marriage work will take love, but it will also take trust to know in your hearts you want the best for each other. It will take faith to always be willing to go forward to tomorrow, never really knowing what tomorrow will bring. And it will take commitment to hold true to the journey you now pledge to share together. Should there be anyone who has cause why this couple should not be united in marriage, they must speak now or forever, hold their peace. Andrew, do you take Stephanie to be your wife? Easy, Vince. Now, I know earlier you said that no family member or anybody that wasn't invited that no family member or anybody not invited should not get involved in this. But I really felt, I mean, I really, from the bottom of my heart, felt that you should take a look at this. What is this? Gene, get off that stratosphere. Shoot this strip. Where, where are we? Vegas is great, isn't it, man? This is the greatest place on earth. Look at you have everything you could want. Adult movies. It's a nice neighborhood. How can you beat that? That's like the greatest of all time. Got everything here. Places just like this. The little white wedding chapel. Here it is. Little white chapel. Joan Collins and Michael Jordan were married here. 24-hour drive-up wedding window. <laughs> this is the place. And nothing better than to be right across the street from Talk of the Town. They've got honeymoon specials in there. Adult book feels works out perfectly. Considering we're about to pull into the Tunnel of Love. Oh, yeah. This is exactly the way I envisioned it my whole life. You know, I'm a man, a romantic, right from the get-go, and this is how I always pictured it when you see it. Little White Chapel, Grand Tunnel of Love. I do you This is all kind of steep. Well, uh, here we go. Wedding ceremony, only $40. That's us. Here we go. The Tunnel of Love. What is this, JR? Would you look at this? Oh my god. This is the ro most romantic place on the face of the planet. All these little fat cherubs with the wingers hanging out. I love you. I need you. I, I want. Oh my. <laughs> it's so touching. This whole thing. I'm just. I'm sorry. I'm emotional. I'm just so emotional. Get your ass out here. Come on. Oh. 
Hey. Hey, how are you? Hey, doing? you're Triple H. Damn straight, I am. Are you getting married? That's what I'm here for. Who are you married? The virtuous Stephanie McMahon. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Did you have your marriage license yet? Hey, I've got everything ready. I've already been to the bureau. All I've right. got the license You've right got here. You've got the license, okay. I've got rings. Look at this. Huh? Okay. Wow. Top quality farm shop nice. stuff right here. Damn out there. And, uh, what faith are you? I'm telling you. I can tell you right now, here's the deal. All right. I got 40 bucks yes. and no time. No time. You want so to I need you to get a move. Okay, I sure will. All right, then. Okay, well, Hunter and Stephanie, we're gathered here together in the little white chapel tunnel. It is all necessary. Really necessary? I need you to speed this up. Get right to the ideas. Get the rings on. Let's get out of here. Come on. We're in love, and we'll move to your move, and you get me? Will you take Stephanie for your wife? Oh, you know I do. And Stephanie, will you take Hunter for your husband? Oh, yes, I do. Place the ring upon her finger. And look into her eyes and say, I, Hunter, take you, Stephanie. Is that all that necessary? Can't we just get to the she does, I do, and the ring on the finger thing? You have to say something. All right. Okay, well. I, Hunter, take you, Stephanie. I, Hunter, take you, Stephanie. For my wife. For my wife. With All right. This ring, with this ring, I thee wed. I, thee wed. I promise to love you. Oh, for the love of God, can't you get the idea? I promise to love you. And honor you. And honor you. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. Okay. Here we go. Stephanie, you place the ring upon She'll his hand. She'll get it for you. There we go. Okay. She's right. doing it. Yeah. She's doing it. Uh, I, Stephanie, take. Hunter. Hi, Stephanie. Take you, Hunter. Uh, for my wife. Uh, for my husband. Excuse me. For my husband. I promise you. I promise to love, honor, and definitely obey everything you say. Okay, so by the power vested in me by the state of Nevada here at the Little White Chapel Bible Clinic, I do pronounce you husband and wife. You are legally married. Hey, Jane, get that stuff out of the trunk and throw it on the car, would you? Give me the camera. I'll do it while you're in there. Get that stuff. There, up, up. All right. Get that stuff out of the trunk. Hey, thanks a bunch. You know, really great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jane, get those cans out of there, too. Not Stephanie's, the ones in the trunk. Hey, look. Hey. Not only are you a great bartender, but you're the greatest decoration man on the planet. That's a bartender right now. No problem, sir. <laughs> now Stephanie. you will receive a graduate marriage license in the mail. All right. But this is the original one that you just have received right here. Sweet. Where is your marriage? You got it? I've got it right Did you here. Get your rules for happy marriage yet? Yeah, uh, no. Here, you've got to have your rules. Gene, take this back, would you? Okay, here's your rules for happy marriage. Okay. All right? All right. Hey, get a nice shot of the brand new Mr. and Mrs. Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Bye. Drive careful. My God, I... I can't believe this. 
Stephanie and Triple H are married. Now, Vince, as a member of the immediate family, he's got a wedding ring. I know that you can only have one question on your mind, Dad. Oh my God! And that is, not did we, but how many times did we consummate the marriage? Oh my God, I can't believe that. Triple H has married Stephanie McMahon. It's okay, Stephanie. For God's sakes. My God, I can't believe this.